Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for episode 197. We're getting really close to a milestone, and we've got some fun stuff that I think we still have planned. We've kind of got planned. We've been talking about planning. Something like that. When we get to 200, but that's a few weeks away. Uh, We're recording this on Sunday, October 30th, 2022, at 3 o'clock Pacific time. I'm Terry. He's Todd. Zach, we're all here, guys. In case you can't see us, trust what Terry says. We're all here. We're all here. You'll hear us. You'll hear us. I think most of us are here. I can't. I can't speak for everybody. I guess, but I'm mostly here. Not really. That's going to be like the sequel to the uh, to the Joaquin Phoenix documentary. I'm mostly Mm -hmm. here. I'm mostly here. Yeah, (laughs) kind of like Robert Duvall's acting chops on the set of The Judge. Yeah, I'm mostly here. Not a cash grab. Is it, is it uh, like a? It's a mix between the Kate Blanchett movie and the Walking Phoenix movie, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Mostly here. I'm still here. I'm not there. I don't know. Somewhere in there. I am there. Uh, any uh, any degenerate updates from you guys? Well, I don't have anything degenerate, but I do want to talk a little bit about the end of that Panthers-Falcons game. I don't know if you guys saw DJ yeah. Moore uh, <laughs> ripped off his helmet after like a, a game uh, game-winning Hail Mary. Hi- Insane Here's the thing, pass. though. Insane yeah, pass. great, great play, and I'm sure people will be talking about it. The kicker that missed the extra point, though, has there ever been a situation where a kicker missed the game-winning kick and no one really blames him? Like everybody is mad at the receiver, you know. No one cares yeah, that he missed the kick. It was a forty-seven kick. yard uh, or forty-eight yard extra point. I know. Yeah, but I was, all I was the... gonna say nobody blamed Brandon McManus for losing to the Seahawks uh, in Week One. Person, <laughs> <laughs> sure Nathaniel Hackett has that. Has that? In, I'm just in the saying, bag. like normally, you know, there are worse. There's no worse feeling in the world than being a kicker who missed a game-winning field goal. But, but he's not gonna get blamed. And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess he missed a game winning field goal. He missed a game winning extra, extra point. point. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, from 48, yards. From 48 out, yards out. I don't know. I just I can't think of any other distinction like that. So I guess he has uh, he has DJ more to thank a lot today. But man, that PJ Walker, man, I, I've, I've been saying he's he's a he's a baller like he he dominated. Well, the XFL, I think, before uh, before he ended up as a Panther, and on a roster with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, PJ Walker is the one that won the job. I... DJ Moore from the U. Maryland, Maryland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I was rooting for the Panthers because uh, I love the idea of a three and five team winning their division or being in first place in their division. So. I don't know. What's like, Terry, you're the math teacher. Like, what's the lowest mathematical number that a team would could win to make the playoffs? Like, because I feel like that's the NFC South, you know, like six wins. Is there a mathematical possibility that a team goes six and 11 and, and could win the division? Because th- this is the year for it. I think she's six and 11. That'd be. Well, how, wow. how many times do they have to play their own division? They have uh, to play six games six. in division. Yeah. 
So there's at least so three. three. Wins. I, I would say three and fourteen is statistically the lowest you could ha- you could have. Your, okay, your but then everyone game. would be tied. Then everyone would... would be tied exactly. But that's the only way to do it. I hope that happens someday. The NFL deserves it. By the way, and I then, have to go back. But, and but say... then the the previous years, probably the previous years, uh, division champ would be the winner of the division, right? Because your tiebreakers are come down to how good your opponents were and the, the division winner would have played better opponents, I guess. I don't know. That, that would have, that'd be really strange. I don't think I've ever seen a four-way tie in any football. It, wait a second. There's no tiebreaker that's dependent on how you finished last year. That's well, not, no, but no, I mean, no, you but play better teams. Schedule. You play better strength teams. of schedule goes oh. into it, and your strength of schedule is dependent on how good you were last year. Potent- potentially. I don't think I've ever seen even a three-way tie like that. Or, I mean, a three-way tie that wasn't broken by who played each other. I don't know. Like that'd be really, that'd be crazy. <laughs> I just have to go back really quick and, and say, I, I know DJ, Mer- DJ Moore is from Maryland because uh, I listened to uh, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay's uh, draft podcast. And when he was getting ready to come out, every podcast, Mel Kuyper had to mention DJ Moore because he's from Maryland. And every time he was mentioned the, um, they, he got a little ding because he had mentioned a Maryland player. Wait, Kuyper's went to Maryland too. Kuiper is like lives in Baltimore. Oh, I, I thought I thought Van Pelt was the only like guy that was for Maryland, like through and through. When and Frank Reich, he's a Maryland grad. So is um Scott Zolak. Yeah, we're, we're just full the, of the, the Kuiper compound spot. is like in Mar- in Baltimore. So he, he's he's all for anything the, in the state of Maryland. That's all I know. My, my degenerate update is never, never trust the Jets against the Patriots. That's unless it's Rex Ryan. Unless it's, I guess, unless it's Rex Ryan. I, don't know. Feet. I was like, dude, Patriots don't know who their quarterback is. This is going to be a mess. It's like, it was like a two point favorite. Yeah, that didn't work. All right. Well, Be- beautiful. Thanks for listening, everybody. And this has been this week's episode of Degenerate Weekly, where we talk about the history of Maryland sports and three-way ties. Four or four-way ties. ties. Four-way ties. Oh, even better. During the Nebraska game yesterday, they uh, they had to show a stat of how uh, if all these things happen, which actually seemed somewhat plausible, uh, the, uh, the Big Ten uh, West could finish in a seven-way tie. Yeah. That would require <laughs> Northwestern winning like three that, more games. And that's exactly what the commentator said. It's like, this isn't <laughs> going to happen. And the reason is because it requires Northwestern to win. <laughs> so who's the greatest Maryland athlete then? Juan Dixon? Len Bias. Len Bias. Well, oh, yeah. No, no, you can't pick Len Bias. He didn't have a career. Uh, he had a college he had career. A, he had a 30 for 30. Are, are, are you, I mean, are, he had a full collegiate career. That's true. I guess, I guess that that would be the question whether you can, whether we're talking about like all time lifetime happened to me or a Maryland grad. If, or if you're not counting group. him, uh, yeah, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, I think you gotta. You gotta Len Bias them. played what one year, right? At Maryland? No, he played, he played more than that. He played a few years before he got drafted. I don't know how many. Were you guys a full collegiate career? Were you guys a fan of that O2 Maryland team? I, I really enjoyed them, mostly mm-hmm. because I hated Duke yeah. so much. That was like the that, those were some of the golden eras of terrible Duke losses that were fun to watch. 
Well, and then then since I've been here, uh, Blake and Dixon have played for the Blazers. So wow. Well, then they should be on your list of greatest Maryland athletes. For That's sure. why I said if you're not counting bias, I'm going with Dixon and Blake. Who's Blake? Steve Blake. Steve Blake. Yeah, he's a he's a Maryland grad too. He was he was the point guard. No, wait. Do I have that right? I think. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, who was also with it? With Bonnie uh, Baxter, Wilcox, right? And, the, and Chris the, Wilcox. Yeah. The, yeah, the former Sonic. The former Sonic. All right, that was this a is fun get- team. Gary Williams. <laughs> the, wasn't there like a game-winning shot from the corner too? At one point, I think so. I, I mean, think it was wait, Dixon. Are, are we are we not seeing Stefan Diggs is better than these guys? Oh, um, that's a good yeah. call. I'm just. Has anybody ever spent more time talking about the University of Maryland? I mean, of Scott the states, Van Pelt. states Scott, yeah. have you not? Have you not I, I guess talk. I don't. I don't watch <laughs> Scott Van Pelt, so I obviously haven't had my Maryland fill. Like when you think University of Maryland, you don't think that. That's probably like the third university you think of, right? Because you think of Johns Hopkins, and then you think of uh, you know the military academy there, right? I don't know. Maybe. Annapolis. I, I'll, I'll say, I'm I'm a big fan of Talia Tagovailoa, and I think if he if he gets the right the right uh the right spot in the NFL, he could he could be a be an all timer. An all-timer? I don't know. He'd be better Hot than his take. brother. How about that? He'd be better than his brother. Okay, we're so cutting this out. You guys know <laughs> that, right? We got we got a, a whole freaking movie with many subplots to talk about. You're so. the one editing it, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Two reviews. Well, let's two. Let, let, let's let's uh let's end this foolish these foolish shenanigans here, um, and this tomfoolery, and uh, get into what we're really here to talk about. Zach, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking some Pinot from somewhere in France that was, I think, $12. So hopefully it's good. I can't remember. Margiot, something like that. But Why is it so bright? Uh, it might be the light in my room a little bit. But uh, it is, uh-huh. it, it, it's, a, it's a lighter wine, as are a lot of Bordeaux's, apparently. Sound like I know something. I mean, that, that's, a, that, that's how Miles gets by. He just sounds like he knows things. Exactly. Todd? Uh, I'm drinking some Italian wine, and I think it's a red blend. It's a Capitale della Crosara from the Rosso Verona um, winery, I guess, in uh, in Italy. It's pretty good. Uh, I, I like red blends. It, it, it's probably the most drinkable wine. Uh, Why did you buy it, just out of curiosity? Uh, I don't know. It had a pretty plain label, and I like, and I think I've always. <laughs> With me, like, I don't buy, like, the really, like, cool-looking labels if I'm buying liquor or whatever. This one was, uh, I don't know, it was on the shelf, and I was like, okay, let's go with that one. I like it. Cheers. You could look kind of like a ship captain today with your navy vest and got the yellow. I'm not wearing a vest. I'm wearing, like, a... Okay, well, now I see the Seahawks logo. Yeah, like a running jacket or something. Tyler Lockett might have just had his worst drop of his career. It was bad. Anyways, yeah. all right. Uh, I'm Not drinking. Off the face mask. I've got beer. I've got beer. Uh, so I sent my wife out to to or no, she went out to do the grocery shopping, and uh, I said, "Hey, I need a beer while you're there. So get get a beer." And so she did, and she got uh, Breakside Brewery, which is in Portland. I've actually been to the brewery. It's it's uh, near the the former the former uh, collegiate uh, campus, 
And uh, this is the Stay West IPA. It's not too bad. Uh, I've been letting it calm down because as we started recording, I opened it and it exploded on me and I had to quickly like make sure it didn't spill everywhere. So, uh, so I, it had that going for it. And the movie that's on in the background back here, you can't really see it, but uh, it's Minari is the random Ooh. movie of the day. So, Will Patton. <laughs> Will Patton. There you go. So we have respect for beer on this podcast, but Terry, I have to ask, has there ever been a movie character that sounds more like a beer than Bud White? <laughs> <laughs> I was distracted by it the whole movie. And he's like, got alcohol at the beginning. Like, where's the Bud White? Oh, there's Bud White. <laughs> that that is... might be the best observation you've ever had. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that is beautiful. Wow. University of Maryland for all that buildup. And yeah. And his real name is Willard, right? Wasn't that it? I don't know. Anyways, we'll talk about that more later. That's when we get to deep dive stuff. LA Confidential. It's coming. But first, we got to talk about what we've been watching. And uh, let's get into that. I'm going to go first on this. I never go first in what we've been watching. Uh, And so I've got two things to report on. What? That's all on you. <laughs> I know it is all on me. It is all on me. I'm, Wendell, I'm the one that kind of determines it. Uh, I've got two things I'm going to report on. One is my anniversary watch, and one is something that uh, I caught up on that I was supposed to watch last week that I didn't. Um, I got one of them in. I'll get the other one in for next week. Uh, so the, the anniversary watch is going 20 years back. It is a Best Documentary nominee. So there's no way you guys are going to get it. It's a movie called Winged Migration. Uh, I've heard of that movie. Yeah, it is. A, it's an hour and a half long movie uh, that follows birds. And that's the movie. Um, I, I sat down and watched it with my kids. They actually thought it was it was pretty awesome because it is. It's an awesome movie. Uh, it, as I was watching it, it was something where I just kept on thinking to myself, how did they get these shots? Because like. It's it's basically the precursor to the Planet Earth series is really what it feels like. But Planet Earth has like drones and stuff like that where they can get these shots. This is like pre-drone footage. How are they flying with birds through everything? And like it even says at the beginning, there is no special effects in this. This is all real, real stuff. And so I had to watch a little bit of the making of uh, of this movie and. Basically, what they did is the filmmakers raised flocks of birds so that they were familiar with them. They were comfortable with them. They were used to the sound of the engines so that they could like paraglide next to them. And then they would go they would go uh, they would go flying with them and and get the get the footage of them going around. And I thought that was like like this thing took it said it took like four years to make. But and that's some serious dedication to get this footage, to get these these birds flying in their in their wing formation from North Pole to South Pole and everywhere in between. It was it was pretty remarkable and pretty amazing. Three and a half star movie. Really cool. I mean, it's a nature documentary. I'm always into that sort of thing. So if, if that's your that's your jam, check it out. Uh, I found it pretty easily at my library. So uh, that was winged migration. And for my other movie that I'm reporting on. I watched the stranger. Oh, ah, yeah. So, yeah, Mike, so it was Mike. Yeah, it, <laughs> this has got to be thrice approved. It is totally thrice approved. It, okay. it is. It is three and a half star thrice approved because this movie is so cool. Um, and it, it's, it 
has such an interesting vibe to it uh, as you the the intricacy of this plan that they had to put together to make this whole thing happen and what i thought was really cool is i mean it's it's an r-rated movie but it's uh, it's r-rated for language only even though it's talking about this guy who did this heinous act and um and the plot to get him is to um set up a whole crime organization they never actually show anything like it, it is all in the dialogue and I thought that was fascinating. And it really adds to the fact that uh, you guys talked about it being such a slow burn and it is. And I think that's why, because it's, a, it's all talking. They don't show anything. Uh, and Sean Harris is outstanding in this. And Joel Edgerton is, is always, I mean, he, he always gives decent performances, but he really stands out here too. Uh, yeah. Three and a half stars. Excellent. The amount of prep it took to to set that whole thing up and then be like, okay, all right, I think we're ready. All right, Paul, you're going to go sit next to him on the plane. I mean, it's <laughs> and then go and just let it all happen. That That's just nuts. The fact that they did all that. So the real question now is, do we go back uh, and go look at our list from last week? Can this be our fourth Mount Rushmore vote? Because, I mean, honestly, an Australian film that, first of all, all three of us has, have seen and have liked I don't think exists. <laughs> I think it is definitely the uh, the the uh, Taft of the of the Mount Rushmore. I, okay, I think I think we'll take it. Yeah, but we still have a spot for Crocodile Dundee, and a movie Terry doesn't like at all. So I don't know. Like that that was a poorly put together. Other would Mount Rushmore. Only one of us. It, did, it didn't work really well. It didn't work out well. Yeah. <laughs> well, as soon as we said, you know, it had to be like a true tried and true Australian film like, well, then that takes out all the Australian filmmakers that don't make films in Australia, but and all the prep that you totally put into it. Both of you. Yeah. (laughs) Like (laughs) I tried to put in prep everything, everywhere I looked, I was like, I haven't seen any of these. (laughs) The the only way I was going to be able to prep is like actually go out and watch like 10 Australian films. All right. We're going to go to, uh, we're going to go to Todd next. Oh, yeah, I didn't have time to watch, like, anything, so I don't really have anything to report on. But, like, eight days ago, I watched uh, The Usual Suspects with my girlfriend. And I will say that, like, there is nothing better than a movie that you love that has such an intricate plot and twist that you're watching with somebody who's never seen it before. And it was as good as I've ever felt watching that movie. It, it, it's still a fantastic movie. And I'm really upset that we didn't deep dive it two years ago, but I guess we'll have to do it in three years. That's always the best when you get to watch a, a movie you love with somebody else that's watching it for the first time, especially one with all the twists and turns that that has. But what if the person that you love is showing you the movie and they love it, but you think it sucks, then it can be a terrible experience. Trust me. I've been there many, many times. Well, I, I suppose, but I mean, it, to, to me, it has not like I, I've I've been there too, and it doesn't matter that much. It the just cons becomes... seem to outweigh the pros. I don't want to know what anyone thinks of any movie. In, in the words of you know Will Hunting, I want to be perfect right now. Let's. That's because all the movies you love are weird. Well, yeah, and I, I remember, I remember the when, well, the first time I talked to Zach, uh, all of you listeners, uh, he said. <laughs> I, I tell people my favorite movie is a five-hour Italian movie so that they don't ask more questions. And, <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah. I guess that, I guess that makes sense now. <laughs> Maybe it's six hours. I don't remember how long that movie is. I thought it was seven. Well, actually, Todd, you have it wrong because I'm laughing at this because I I've usually said my uh, my favorite movie was a ten hour Polish movie. So wrong, uh, wrong movie, but nice. Well, try. back then, I mean, that was what like 2005 or something. Yeah, right. right when I, the movie I'm saying came before out. before I met you, I would I would say that to people. So okay. I I definitely did say that. I think. <laughs> no, I did. I said it. All right, gotta, Zach. Gotta go back in the record books to find it. Okay, Zach, what'd you watch? Uh, the movie I watched was Smile, uh, which oh, just nice. in time for Halloween. Um, honestly, guys, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I liked it. It's fine. It kind of is like it follows. You know, people see demonic smiling, and it's kind of passed from one person to another. The thing that I want to talk about is I gave this movie three stars. Okay, and I like it, and I stand by the review. But it's very conventional. It's got like a beginning. It's got like a explanation, some flashbacks, some character building, an inciting incident. It's like the three act structure, Sid Field, right down the line. Okay, it's like the le the lecture that <laughs> Nicolas Cage goes to. Um, why am I giving this movie three stars and Barbarian two and a half stars? Like, isn't it better to like be ambitious and try something different and maybe not succeed the full time rather than just do kind of the conventional thing and be adequate at it, but not great. Like, I feel very um, torn right now. So and, uh, listeners, all eight of you, I think I want to go back and give Barbarian three stars, not because I revisited it, but just because smile is not as ambitious and yet i gave that three stars so i don't know i'm in a quandary what 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 should i do does anyone care Probably i, I not. think that's fair i think that's fair we all said you were too hard on barbarian anyways so it would I be like seen it, but it's streaming now so like, i'll watch it soon it would be like uh seeing um uh toby jones's capote and then and then thinking it's great and then watching Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's like, no, that's not as good, but it's not like you revisited it. I don't know. It's a it's a moral and philosophical question that every film goer has to ask. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is smile is good and I, I like it. But Barbarian's good too, and I like it. By the way, Adam watched Barbarian this week. Uh he gave he it did. four stars. It's better four than stars. the black phone. It's definitely better than the black phone. So that's a better choice by Adam. He's gonna have a lot of horror movies in his top 10. Probably. Well, oh. here's the thing. Are we going to see Terrifier 2? Can we review that next week? <laughs> Art the Clown, man. I can't wait to see all the blood and gore. Apparently, they had to get paramedics to come to some of the screenings. I've, I've, heard, I've heard stories. Has yeah. anybody seen the first Terrifier? No. Adam watched it this week, apparently. <laughs> oh, so we know he's going to see it. He, he, he has a lot of time on his hands right now because he's on paternity leave. Hashtag almost side baby. Hmm. Um. And uh, so he's a uh, he but not not enough time to watch Barry apparently. No, it, it was it was more like that was we were gonna record on a Tuesday night and Wednesday morning was uh, the appointment for uh, to go in and get induced. So that's why we uh, we postponed Barry. But we're back we're we're back for next week. We got it ready to go. All right. Well, let's get into our reviews. <laughs> We've got two movies we're reporting on today that uh, have been out for a little bit, but just got wide enough for us to be able to see them. And uh, this is th these are two movies that are fairly big uh, Oscar contenders. I would say 
at this point, you're looking at like the two lead front runners for best actress in these two movies. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what we thought. Uh, and the first one we're going to talk about is Tar. Time is the thing. Time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without me. I start the clock. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means time stops. Which I did not get a chance to see. So Todd and Zach are going to talk about it. And we heard a little bit from Zach last week on what he thought. So we're going to start with Todd and hear what he thought. So Todd, tell us about Tar and what you thought. Okay. Tar is directed by Todd Field. And if you listen to our top 100 episode, uh, episodes, uh, Todd Field has two of my top 100 movies of all time. I think that his two <laughs> movies are among the greatest movies that have ever been made. And, and how many movies has he made? He's made two movies, or three now. <laughs> he's made three movies. He's had a lot of movies in the last 16 years since Little Children came out that he has, uh, he's a little Tarantino-ish in that way, where he he like will say like, oh yeah, I'm doing this, and then he doesn't do it. He wrote this script, he didn't actually make it. He worked on some TV. But now he made this movie Tar, uh, with an accent over the A. And um, it is about Lydia yeah, Tar, right. uh, which is uh, played by Kate Blanchett. And she's this famous composer and the first female uh, director of a German orchestra. She's married to Sharon, which is played by uh, Nina Haas. And um, and she also has relationships with her young students, uh, which becomes pretty difficult <laughs> circumstances when... Um, Things like smartphones come into play and those um, tragedy kind of happens. Her assistant is played by, or is Francesca, played by Nomi Merlant. And uh, she's constantly looking for approval from Lydia, which she hardly ever gives to anyone ever. And um, it the movie sort of becomes this interesting character study, commentary on genius, on cancel culture, on what is acceptable for the sake of art, and on the idea of celebrity in general. I was the only one in the theater, which sucks because this, uh, my theater almost never gets these like modestly wide released art house movies. And seeing this on opening night, I was being the only one there. There were only three showtimes that day. I can't think that this ever going to really happen again at that theater, like ever in which I'm, I'm really kind of pissed about. Um, I mean, I think we can all relate. Uh, Blanchett, uh, is uh she, she's amazing she's playing around with dialogue in this movie the way like christoph waltz would uh her her use of language and accent are just astonishing her her scene at the the juilliard class is on the level of like a viola davis in terms of like manipulation and intimidation and just genius uh the ambition is of this movie is so great it, it uh making it this almost completely unlikable woman, the protagonist, and daring you to examine her and emphasize or uh, empathize with her. Uh, it reminded me at times of Margaret. Um, it's very much not the other Todd Field movies, but at the same time, there also are some fascinatingly similar themes that that he uh, <laughs> that he uses. The background sounds and ticking are very much like parts of Little Children. The heavy themes and the impact on uh, a seemingly unaffected on on the seemingly unaffected are also explored in in uh, in both of his previous films it's um it has an excruciating last act 
Um, but yeah, I mean, this is Kate Blanchett's show. Like her, her supporting co- co-stars are good, but they're not going to get nominated. It's all about her. Um, this is a career best performance, and she's won two Oscars. The the movie also has this like really wide angle approach that she uses things and like really unbroken shots that are clearly Todd Field was inspired by Kubrick when he was on uh, the set of Eyes Wide Shut. It's deep and it's honest and beautiful and scathing. It's hard to imagine how anyone with any knowledge of cancel culture wouldn't be bombarded with their own hypocrisies, especially someone who is pro-cancel culture. The the delusion and narcissism of the main character is also Jordan Belfort-ish, especially as it draws to its conclusion. It's a fascinating character study and a fascinating movie. It's not perfect because it is almost intentionally too long and intentionally drawn out and there there are a lot of flaws the, the same way that the main character are flaws i don't know what to do with this movie as of right now i'm giving it a very high three and a half stars but i do want to see it again all right well zach you you told us it was your uh it was a four-star movie in the top of the year last year so uh so our last episode or last last yeah last episode you said that so uh expand on that a little bit and uh, react to what todd said yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, a lot of what Todd said. Very articulate. Uh, I like the little zinger in there about pro- people who are pro-cancel culture. Um, I, uh, I I did not go into this movie knowing anything about the fact that it was uh, going to address things like cancel culture and things like toxicity and workplace, uh, you know, sexual harassment and things like that. Um, so I was kind of shocked when even in that early scene at Juilliard, um, it's addressed. I think it's so rare in movies um, for that level of dialogue, um, regardless of, like you say, Todd, what, what side of the fence you find yourself on. Uh, that's a brilliantly written scene, all in one shot, or most of it in one shot. Um, but I think uh, there was a, a sense of queasiness, like probably 30 minutes in where I was thinking, well, Todd Field, you know, like he's been some in some shack in Maine the last 16 years. I mean, how much, you know, has he really engaged with with the world? Right. Does, is he aware of things like social media? Is he aware of like Instagram and it, it, these things that he's like bringing up in the movie? Um, and uh, I didn't know the answer to that question. I guess I still don't really know the answer to that question. But I think the larger point is how great is it to have a challenging movie that you can still love? Like, that's so rare to have. Like, I may disagree with some of the points that this movie may be articulating or maybe not because it's never always clear. But I just loved being challenged and stimulated by it. I can't think of a recent movie that has really done it that way. My number one movie of the last year, uh, which was the documentary on the, on the Cave Dwellers, like that was an amazing movie, but it was kind of clear, you know, who we're supposed to root for. And it's obviously a documentary, so it's a little different. Like this movie, I don't know what at all to think about Lydia Tarr at the end of it. It's perplexing. It's baffling. It is frustrating. It does feel too long at times. And maybe there are some areas that are a little underexplored. But I have not gotten this movie out of my head at all the last week. It is, and it's stunning that it comes from Todd Field because, like, on the surface, I don't see any DNA with this movie and his previous two movies. And I, it's an amazing performance by Kate Blanchett. I don't know how she spoke German and, and played her instruments and conducted like that. Absolutely amazing. I think the last 30 minutes is unhinged and a little crazy, but that last scene is just about perfect. Like, 
Wow. And, and, and what was so brilliant about it is that you could never, you could only be an artist as great. And I say that, I guess, intentionally, wink, wink, as Todd Field to come up with a scene like that. What a great way to end this movie. And uh, I just, I'm haunted by it. I think it's, it, it's an amazing achievement. I think it's the there will be blood of this generation, if we're considering ours a different generation. And it's also the power of the dog at this year's Oscars. It's going to win nothing, except for Cape Blanchett, maybe. That's going to be nominated for a lot. <laughs> yeah uh i mean i i've i've seen people um uh, try to make controversy of this movie like saying the last scene is racist in some ways i don't know i mean i mean you're just grasping at that point like people don't want this movie to succeed for some reason i don't understand it it's it is something else and yeah i mean it is so much more ambitious than than in the bedroom and little children mm. but I don't know. I mean, he, he has such an attention to detail and, and a way that he uses words and a way that he shoots things that make everything seem a little bit more consequential than they actually are. The, the, I don't know. The, this movie is something else. And like I said, I mean, it, to me, it reminded me of Margaret. I kind of wish I would have watched it at home and not in the theater by myself because I, I don't I don't think it necessarily needs to be seen on a big screen at the but at the same time I'm just like I don't know I could have obsessed over it a little bit more yeah like as I was watching there I did have a reaction after the movie where I thought you know Todd Field what is he great at well in his two previous movies he's for me at least in the bedroom is my number three movie of all time he's so great at capturing like character nuance he doesn't like ever, it's never, you know, hammered down too much, but he's great at capturing like the subjectivity of people in their kind of daily lives. And it's not overwhelmed by big ambition. So my heart sank a little bit sometimes as I was watching this movie thinking, this is not Todd Field's natural strength. This is not in the bedroom. I wanted some degree of another in the bedroom. This looks nothing like in the bedroom, at least on the surface. And that's just the challenge of the movie. Like how many filmmakers could you say that about where they completely reinvent themselves, um, granted, with a 16-year period. But, like, I just thought, I thought that was really, really great. And I also saw a lot of other movies in this movie. Like, there's a little bit of whiplash in the sense that she's... Oh, for sure. Know, there's, the, there's a little bit of uh, Michael Haneke's cachet, if you've ever seen that movie. And um, there's also maybe an argument to be made that this story could have been written by Aaron Sorkin, but it would have been such a worse movie. With all due respect to Aaron Sorkin, who's a great writer, this movie had to be made by an artist with crazy ambition, and it had to be on the big screen. So I think Todd Field, in retrospect, was the perfect choice, and Kate Blanchett was always the perfect choice, although Tilda Swinton also could have played it. <laughs> True. Well, I mean, I, I mean, like I was saying, like Viola Davis could have played it too. Like, yeah. she, like it, it is not all that far removed from her How to Get Away with Murder character. And... I think I mean that'd be astonishing too to watch. But Kate Blanchett, I mean, this is this is the best she's ever done. Maybe she can pull a Sal, a Stanley Hawkins type supporting performance in and get Nina Haas nominated. But it's only going to be her, pretty much. I mean, she's it's going to get a Best Picture nomination and should get a Director nomination for the first time for Top Field. Well, and and this is I guess where I just draw the line with the Oscars because it's like how many times can they do this to themselves where? They have aroma or power of the dog that actually makes them think and they opt for simplistic minded, 
heart-rendering bullshit. You know, this would but be a, those a one great best director. Test. You think Todd Field's winning best director? No, no, I don't think he's winning best director. But I think this is the movie that may get the most nominations, like Power of the Dog last year, and only win one because the Academy doesn't like to think when they watch movies. I don't know. I mean, there are times when it's like they know the what the best movie is, and they will give it the key nominations, but they won't give it best picture. They did that with like the Truman show, like they nominated everywhere that it could have been pretty much, but not best picture. You know, it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like this is in that, that kind of category. It could be. I do feel like the anonymous Oscar voter, who's usually the 70 year old white guy at the Hollywood reporter uh, will say that he voted for this movie for best picture. But like, I don't know. I, I think the, the, the larger point that I'm fascinated by is it's a movie that, that doesn't fit into any one box and it's a totally perfect movie for our time, but it's a challenging movie. And yet at the same time, it's not challenging in the experience of watching it. Like it was very easy to follow and it was wonderful to watch and I could have watched more of it. So again, it's, it's hard for me. It's hard to think of other movies that were quite like that. I think it's a towering achievement and Todd field is a genius just like Lydia Tarr. All right. Well, Let's move on from that. Now, I will try and watch it this week so I can report on it next week. We'll see. We'll see if I get to it. But we have another featured review. And Todd did not get to this one. So Zach and I are going to be talking about Till. It's hard to describe what a mother knows. The first thing I noticed when I became a mother was that my hands were busy all the time. My hand knew him with my eyes closed. Just like I know his laughter in a crowded room. Uh, and this was the, uh, the based on the true story of the, of the brutal lynching of Emmett Till and really focuses more on, uh, on his mother. And uh, I'm going to start out this one. So this was uh, directed by uh, Chinonye Chukwu. I think that's how you say the name. Um, and stars Daniel Deadweiler as, uh, as Mamie Till Mobley. And then uh, Jalen Hill uh, as Emmett Till, and it 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 tells a story. It's a fairly basic um, basic telling of the story. Uh, it starts right before he. Uh, so the the story is Emmett Till. He's a fourteen year old boy lives in Chicago, going to visit his cousins in Mississippi. While he's there, he uh, he tells a white girl that she's pretty, and because of it, uh, a few days later, he is brutally murdered. And it becomes one of the uh, one of the defining moments of the civil rights movement in 1955, uh, and leads to a lot of uh, a lot of the change that happened over the next 10, 15 years as a part of the civil rights movement. Uh, all kind of stems back to what happened with Emmett Till. Uh, <clears throat> the movie focuses almost entirely on the mother, Mamie, and uh, and her uh, her trepidation of him going her reaction to him, to, to the tragic news of what happened to him uh, and the strength that she shows not only in uh, allowing for this to become that moment and you, and uh, her becoming a part of it, but also her traveling to Mississippi to uh, testify at the trial uh, for his murder. Uh, this movie I thought was brilliant. Uh, I, I think Daniel Deadweiler is is amazing in this and gives a, just a, an outstanding performance. Uh, I feel like it is, uh, 
it's a well-told movie because it keeps it simple. Like this was a movie where you knew going into it. It's like, okay, don't screw it up. Uh, there, there were a lot of ways it could have been screwed up. It could have been done wrong, but it is done with such dignity and class. Uh, and like I said, it just kept it simple. It told the story because the story itself has so much power to it. It didn't need to add anything else to it. It didn't need to add in, um, you know, preachy moments. It, it just needed to tell the story. It doesn't hit you over the head with anything. It just tells you honestly how this went. And I thought I, I commend the, the filmmakers, uh, the, the screenwriters, and Chinonye Chukwu for having the guts to just let the story stand for itself. And that, that was one of the main things I took from it because it's a powerful story and it hits you like a gut punch when you watch it. Uh, and mainly that's due to Deadweiler's performance. Uh, everything from, from start to finish, she is outstanding in this. She is, she is the movie. And I'm really interested to hear from Zach because uh, Zach saw both of them and he's going to talk about it here in a second of what he thinks. I mean, like I said, a lot of people are saying it's between Kate Blanchett and Daniel Deadweiler on who's going to win the, who's going to be the front runner for the Oscar. But I, I love this movie. Uh, my, I, I'll tell you right now, my plan was to do my normal Friday night double feature. And I, I was going to watch till then I was going to watch tar. I was a little under the weather, which is why I, I didn't stick around for tar, but uh, a secondary reason was I honestly couldn't see myself watching anything else. After I finished Hill, I, I, I couldn't see myself getting out of that mindset that that movie put me in because that's it, it, it's such a powerfully done movie, powerfully put together movie. And I, I'm giving it four stars. It's one of the best movies of the year that I've seen so far. Uh, and, and it's it's due to the way it was told and and the performance at the heart of it. Zach, what do you think of Till? Well, it certainly has a good message and. You know, we haven't really had cinematic depictions of Emmett Till. There was a really great um, American Experience uh, mini documentary on the murder of Emmett Till that uh, this movie, I think, largely draws from. Um, so I uh, like philosophically agree that this movie uh, should definitely be in existence and should probably be seen. However, I'm not giving it four stars. I don't think it's a it's not a perfect movie. Um, I felt like at times it was over sentimentalized. And the music really, you know, kicked up at certain points. It almost felt like a John Lee Hancock movie at times. Um, it also kind of felt a little bit like a Netflix production. Um, it didn't have, like, the world's greatest cinematography. That being said, I agree with you. I think the, the performances are really, really good. Um, Danielle Deadweiler is, is really a great choice. Um, and I think, you know, the camera lingers on her for several moments. And she handles it really, really well. Um, I liked the movie better as it went along, um, maybe because I didn't know so much about Mamie Till's efforts um, after uh, Emmett Till's death. I think maybe that part of her life isn't as widely known, which is why I thought the movie uh, was necessary in the second half to kind of show her ordeal at the trial and her transformation into a civil rights leader. Um, again, historically based, important, yes. I don't know if I particularly loved the scene toward the end where she became a civil rights leader. Now, listen, when Elvis became a civil rights leader, we all know how he was able to shape mine. But uh, in all honesty, I felt like that felt it felt like it was be trying to become a rags to riches story and a movie about uh, someone who um, overcomes 
uh, an obstacle and reaches greatness. Uh, that's not the, the Emmett Till murder was one of the worst mo moments in the history of this country. So I think the movie overall could have helped a little bit by having a more austere tone to it. And I would have liked to see more of her career in the 1960s um, instead of just limiting it to 10 minutes. But then again, I am the guy who says my favorite movie is a 10 hour Polish film. So no one else can watch it. So my tastes don't really matter. I like the movie. I give it three stars. People should check it out. Well, and, and uh, for some of the reasons you said you didn't like it are part of why I, I did like it. I, I'm much more sentimental than you, and it does have some sentimentality to it. It is, uh, it is a very approachable movie. I think, I think this is a, a movie that was made for the masses that anybody could watch and connect with. Um, and I, I, I like that it didn't go there. I, I like that it, it stopped... Like the last scene is what one week after the after the uh, the trial. It's I I like that because if it goes into the sixties, then you're starting to get preachy. You're starting to to hit hit you over the head with it. This this is a story about Emmett Till. It is not a story about the civil rights movement. Well, um, but it's a, it's a story about Mamie Till, though. The Till true, is not true. referring to just Emmett, right? Which is a conscious decision by the filmmakers. I, I don't disagree with that. It would have been a different movie, obviously. But I, I think what I'm saying is the stuff that I didn't know about Emmett Till, and granted, a lot of people don't in this country, unfortunately, don't know about Emmett Till, but the parts yeah. about his life that I didn't know and Mamie's life were the parts that I wanted to see more of. Um, I also would want to add, too, real fast, that... Uh, I did write this down. I like that this movie did not have a white savior. We did not have John Krasinski as the lawyer coming into the courtroom with slick back hair talking about civil rights for everybody. I mean, I, I like that this movie was very much centered on the black characters and the experiences that they go through and not the bullshit white legal system, which is addressed in the movie, but is not the topic of the movie. And I, I, like, I applaud the filmmakers for that. If anything, the lawyer was as racist as the rest of them, which, was, which mm -hmm. I thought was a, was a fascinating... Well, accurate. Historically yeah, accurate, well, for sure. Very, true. Yeah, and and that's what I felt <laughs> watching it is I felt like everything that you're seeing is probably pretty accurate to what actually happened. Like, there's nothing I felt in this movie that felt fabricated for the sake of cinema. Uh, it I felt agree. like this is exactly how this had to have happened because so much of what you see is is a point of record. Right, they recreate pictures of 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 actual events that happened as a part of this. They they took, I'm assuming they took straight from the court records, her testimony in front of the court and what it what it was and and what she said. You can't you can't change that, and and none of it felt yeah none of it felt fabricated. It felt like this is this is a true portrayal of what actually happened. Um. And, and yeah. saying and, and and going into like the sixties and stuff like that. Here, here's what I'll say: a Spike Lee version of this movie goes into the sixties and ties it all in, into you know and and bludgeons you over the head of why this is important today. Yeah, but you know what, Terry? What happened in the sixties? These guys got off scot free. They they lived their lives and they never were accounted for their crimes. They never served any time. Even just in the last couple years, there was a, the the white woman is still alive, right? And mm -hmm. they opted to not file any charges against her. And of course, Emmett Till became a national commemoration this past year. So I think history is really important, actually. And I dare say this movie needed another chapter to kind of show. The, the struggle of that legacy to, to be a, as, you know, uh, important as it is today, because uh, it got forgotten and it got 
there, there are parts of the story that need to be told. So uh, I agree with you up to a certain point, but I also like Spike Lee movies. And I, I, th I think most people <laughs> like Spike Lee movies. He is an Oscar winner. True, but but like that that was the the point I made when so we, was Kevin like, Olmot. Oh, absolutely, of course. But like what what I the problem I had with like Black Klansman was that's what that's where he took it. Where I felt like you didn't need that in here. I, I feel like we can draw those conclusions, especially the 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 postscript or the the uh, the epilogue little postscripts that they have. I think hits hits such a punch in saying what actually happened to these people, how they got off free and yeah the, the the fact that we didn't fully memorialize emmett till in in legislation until this year uh i i think that has just as much of an impact and let the story be the story than going any deeper into it i agree with you and i don't agree with you so we, we can call it even the, the important thing is that people should see the movie and i think really at the surface of this argument a little bit is whether you like cheesy movies like terry does or whether you like non-cheesy Spike Lee movies like I do. So you can, even if you fall on either side of the spectrum, there's something to enjoy in this movie. And yet I was the one that liked Black Klansman and more than you <laughs> I guys. Like so. I was the one. I Hey, we did 25th Hour this year because I was the one that, that chose it. Oh, I know. You like Spike Lee more for sure. But like I was the I mean, I didn't review that with you guys, if I remember right. But I remember I was thinking, like, what are they I talking about? <laughs> I wonder what Spike Lee would think of Till. I, I don't know if he's seen it or if that's I, I, I suspect he might share some of my criticisms, but I can't speak for him. Oh, I, I, I guarantee he, he shares your criticisms of it. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. I really wanted to. It was in my like six through ten of most anticipated movies of the year but i i just really didn't have time to watch anything other than tar and the movie we're going to talk about in a little bit and the usual suspects that was last that was that wasn't even this week oh, that was that eight was, days ago that's right yeah, yeah. The, the last thing i'll say about it is this might be the most important movie i've seen this year because uh of the the story and how it's finally publicizing a story that not enough people know fully so so we all meaning me want to know zach uh who gave the better performance Kid oh yes Blanchett or daniel deadweiler uh hmm let's 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 hold off on that until uh next week let, what why because i don't want to answer that question man i don't know like art is how, subjective how about how about this I know, since, since, since you were going to it, vote. I'm, I'm the only one who's seen both so um uh i mean honestly my best performance this year is neither of them i mean it's the actress from happening so anna maria vertolomy so there you go that's my answer which one which one do you think will win the oscar having seen both gun to my head i'd go kate blanchett just because okay. it's the you know the, the legacy okay yeah and the oscars really don't care about spreading the wealth they you know they gave I mean, they, they just they get it Blanchett her second, they give Francis her third for right. some reason. You know, I don't Everything know. I mean, the 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 one that 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 is uh still just lingering is Michelle Williams and the Fable Mins. If they actually do put her lead, I, I think I'll be fascinated to watch the, the three person race, but I, I still think that they probably will eventually put her support. In. But I mean, we haven't seen the movie. Here's the real question is there possible a three way tie at the Oscars like in the NFC South? We get we four-way tie. Round four circle tie with Michelle Yeoh. Who would be the one left out, though? Man, that OBS, would, that's a, there's a tie. 
Mar- Margot Robbie. Yeah, no Margot maybe. Robbie. We don't need Margot Viola Robbie Davis, there. maybe. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we do need to have uh, an Oscar talk at some point. Like we haven't done absolutely. that at all this year. I think both Till and Tar are getting Best Picture nominations. Can I? That there. That's that's my. Wow. T- Till with a Best Picture nomination. Ooh. Is it? Is it I mean, it, does it have? Does it have the box office? I. Well, let's see here. I have no idea. I just like box making proclamations irrationally. Like how I thought Kyler Murray was going to cover today, so I put I bet the Cardinals at plus sixteen hundred like an idiot on that final drive. So All don't right. trust me. Here's a box office for the week. Number you one, said Black you didn't Adam. have any degenerate talk. <laughs> well, there's some things the that are too de- degenerate to share. Okay, <laughs> I just don't understand why the clock ran out. Why couldn't even try to hail Mary? Ah, that's all uh, I'm saying. All right, box office number one, Black Adam at twenty-seven. That's not million. getting a Best Picture nomination. Number two, Ticket to Paradise at $10 million. Nor is that. Number three was the only big, wide uh, release this week, Pray for the Devil at $7 million. Uh, No one really cared about that movie. Number four, that? I don't even know who was in it. It, Great it was double it was entendre the, of a title. It, I know. It, it, I, I love that title. It was the it was the nun exorcist um, movie. It's, it's, it's either got, like, Alexander Skarsgård or, like... I don't know who else it, would be like Kane, maybe. It's got <laughs> wait, is Kane, Kane still alive? I don't know. Well, apparently Virginia Madsen's nice. in it. Virginia Madsen's in it. She's not in any of the there trailers. Uh the the one guy I've recognized from the from the trailers is Colin Salmon. Salmon? Anyways. Uh after that, you've got uh Smile number four at five. Halloween ends at uh at or four, sorry, smile is four. Halloween ends is five at three point eight. Lyle Lyle Crocodile is a six at two point eight. Till is seventh at two point eight million. Terrifier two two is eighth. The Woman King is ninth, and tenth is Tar at one million. Which means well, so for there the... you go. I mean, Till should be more favored because it's making more money than Tar, and we're all agreed Tar is probably going to get nominated. No, but I mean, Till is probably in like at least three times as many theaters, right? I I don't know. I mean, I Moonlight won Best Picture, so I I don't I, I don't well, think there's true. a lot of box office. Uh, yeah, T- Till was in twice as many theaters. So there's that. Uh, but this also means for the first time in uh, what 25 weeks or something like that, Top Gun Maverick is not in the top 10. R.I.P. I don't know if it was last week either. I thought it was. Anyways, right. it was down Either to 19th this week. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't in very many theaters anymore. I was bummed because not only were Till and Tara in my theater, but also Triangle of Sadness and um, Decision to Leave were also at my theater. So, and I and I only got to see one. I was kind of bummed. yeah. They were in Tacoma too. I if I had any time, I would have been like, okay, I'm spending the the day at the theater, but no. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the main topic of the day because we we've spent long enough ruminating on on all of this. And Maybe we don't want to talk about it, Terry. Five way ties. Maybe it's a movie that not all of us like. Oh, whoops! Oh, spilled keep, the beans. Keep it on the QT and very hush hush. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this. Our our uh, deep dive of the of the week is celebrating the 25th anniversary 
of a movie that I have number one of 1997. Uh, I also have, I looked this up the other day. I have it in my top 100. So does Adam. It's in my top 25 of all time, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, let's see here. That's a, that's a bold it. statement right there. It is a bold statement. I don't make many of them, but when I do, it's about LA Confidential. No, it was number 23 on my uh, on my top 100. Uh, Adam had it uh, 86. So, uh, uh, it, so between Rocky and Inside Out, okay. <laughs> that's a very that's a very Terry list to be to be yeah. mentioning there. Between Rocky and Inside Out is LA Confidential. That's what we're talking about. The Night Owl Massacre. This is a heinous crime that requires swift resolution. Six victims. One of them, one of our own. Interrogations will be led by Lieutenant Edmund Exley. I need some backup. Come on. All right, college boy, I'll help. Now, all of them are faced with solving one case. Don't move! I want confessions, Edmund. Oh, I'll break them, sir. Today. Uh, yeah. So, let's get into, let's get into Disturbingly this. Disturbingly uh... close to sideways on your list, I gotta say. Yeah, It's a little well... close for comfort. I'm sure that that's what I was uh, that's what I was thinking about. By the way, Usual Suspects twenty one, Todd. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, well, I, I am pretty high too. So, all right, let's get into this. Uh, Zach, you're doing trivia. Yeah, take it away. Uh, well, uh, okay. Let's start. This was Terry's choice, so we'll start with Todd this time. All right. I'm out. Okay. Bye, Terry. That was probably a good decision because I watched this for the second time ever about three hours ago. So Nice. Uh, I've seen this movie more than you, so I don't know why I'm doing questions. Um, first <laughs> it was your idea. I guess so. Oh, I'll give you a hint, by the way. Two of these answers have already been mentioned on our podcast uh, inexplicably. I don't know how. So we got to just shut the f up and talk about this movie, I guess. Uh, okay, first yeah. question. Um, what, was the what was the first name of Exley's father? <laughs> okay oh, i mean man. that's gonna set the mood i guess because this movie is ridiculous and how many stupid characters and storylines it has so yeah and, and raymond names especially no it's preston get preston. it right okay i knew it was a two-syllable name all right what are the, this is worth two points what are the first two or sorry for legal first names of the crow and pierce characters <sighs> Yeah, I did say that one, didn't I? Um, <laughs> you can't miss it, man. You can't be DJ Moore. You know, score the touchdown and then take your helmet off. Um, Edmund? Edmund is correct. Not and... Edward. Not that many yeah, Edmunds. Not Edmund. Um... Wendell. Wendell is, is Wendell. correct. <laughs> N nicely done. <laughs> uh <laughs> How do you spell Vincennes? V I N C E N N E S. Correct. All right, I promise no more character uh, name questions. Uh, <laughs> which movie star did Jack Vincennes arrest? Allegedly. Which movie star? Like. Wait, allegedly. So, um, yeah, it's like it's like mentioned about him. Lana Turner. <laughs> uh, no, they see Lana Turner in the movie, but uh, 
uh, Vincennes arrest uh, had arrested Robert Mitchum at some point in. His oh, life. yeah, that's right. They call it. They say they call him Bob, Rob. I think they call him Rob, Rob or, or something. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I I do remember that line. Gotcha. Well, yeah, and you just saw it within the last couple hours. So there you go. Yeah. Um, how many guys did Len Bracken screw the day that Bud White visits her? Oh, how much she actually screwed was two. Yes, that is correct. Not a okay. half dozen. Uh, who was Susan Leffitt supposed to resemble? This this was a hard question for me, too. I actually had to look it up because after the movie, I knew I wanted that as a question, but I didn't remember the answer to it. Do you think this movie had any, like, this whole thing had anything to do with, like, Pulp Fiction where they're like, you know, that is maybe Van Doren, you know, and... What? Yes, that's one of my <laughs> theories about this movie and why it sucks, but go ahead. That's not a, that's not exactly a defense of an Oscar-winning screenplay, but okay. Oh, God. I Just think old movie star. Come on, man. Who? Uh, um, Rita Hayworth. Excellent. There we go. All right. Nicely done. Okay. What four things did the coroner find in Matt Reynolds' stomach? <laughs> This well, is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Good, good line. Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually did write that down. Uh, Can you remember any of them? They're all they're all pretty awesome things. <laughs> uh, it was uh, sperm. Yes, <laughs> sperm. Uh, so funny. Coca Cola, Frankfurters, and. French fries. Yeah, Frankfurters and French fries are correct, but alcohol, not Coke. So you get three points for that question for a movie that you saw in the last hour. Uh, where is Lynn from, and what do the girls there need? Where is she from? Yeah. What is that? Are you Terry asking this question? <laughs> it is, and you're rereading it. It does kind of have a Terry <laughs> feel to that question. <laughs> so where is Lynn, the Kim Basinger character, from? I feel like she says it a few times in this movie. And what do the what do the girls there need? Uh, I'm gonna say that she's from Texas, and the girls need. This was like an important point in the movie. I thought that was gonna be the easy part, but okay. You're not gonna uh, get the second part. I don't know. Okay, she's from Bisbee which she says multiple times, I believe. And the girls there need a little glamour, which is why she's opening a, like a salon there. Uh, what movie is playing in the background or the billboard that Jack walks by, like at the movie theater? He knew that question was coming up. Do you know the I don't I'm remember, talking about? I don't remember seeing that. Okay. There's, a, uh, I believe it happens actually twice. He walks by a movie billboard that's playing The Bad and the Beautiful. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. How That's many right. cutbacks were there to Alec Baldwin during Kim Basinger's acceptance speech? I'm going to say... I'll say whoever gets it closer gets the point. I'm going to say two and a half. Okay, two and a half. Nice. Uh, and then the last question, what is the line... On the DVD of this movie, because this movie apparently only exists in DVD form, what is the line that's spoken on the DVD menu and who says it? Uh, 
off the record on the QT and very hush hush and Correct. Danny DeVito. Correct. All right. Nicely done. Yeah, I looked so, at my quote. It, the quote says, Frankfurters and the sauerkraut, French fries, Coca-Cola, alcohol, and sperm. Oh, maybe I so, got it. I mean, I, so I should get another point. Uh, oh, okay. We'll have to let the jury decide. Um, so uh, welcome back, Terry. Um, yeah. First of all, we realized I've seen this movie more than Todd. Uh, <laughs> so he probably should have done the questions. But he did very well. Uh, he no, got, I didn't. Yeah, he got 10 points. Remember the the one question that there were multiple. That's where you cleaned up. But I thought that was a pretty impressive round. So ten points for Todd on eleven questions. Um, okay. 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 So Terry, here we go. What is the full, or excuse me, the first name of Exley Senior? Oh man, um, is it Raymond? No, Preston. Preston. What are? Did the... I say Raymond? Did you? It's possible. Rewind I remember that. it was it was a two syllable name. I feel Rewind like I'm that. Oh, also Terry, I forgot to tell you, uh, two of these answers have already been mentioned on the podcast. So okay, there's a, there's a hint. Uh, what are the legal first names of the Crow and Pierce characters? Oh, Wendell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Edmund. Edmund, not Edward. Edmund. Uh, uh, Edmund Exley. How do you spell? I've never met an Edmund except for Edmund Gwynn, the 1947 Best Supporting Actor winner who played Santa Claus. Have you ever met an Edmund? I don't I, appreciate you didn't meet that guy. Oh, I didn't uh, meet him. I, I guess wasn't I wasn't Edmund from like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, Edmund Dantes, too, from uh, oh, on my crystal. Yeah, okay. Well, were they real people though? Yeah, we're gonna deep dive that next year, aren't we, Terry? It, it's actually this year. I, I oh, yeah. that's right, 2002. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, Terry, how, how do you spell Vincennes? Uh, V-I-N-C-E-N-N-E-S. Correct. Uh, what movie star did Jack Vincennes allegedly arrest? Allegedly. Oh. I don't even remember this line. Um, Cary Grant? Uh, Robert Mitchum. Or oh, okay. I think Rob. Yeah, I don't know why I don't yeah, remember that. It was Rob. Uh, <laughs> how many guys did Len Bracken screw the day that Bud White visited her? Ten? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dude. Whoa. Lynn. <laughs> Slow it down. He, uh, he visited her in like the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. And he accuses her of a half dozen, not ten. <laughs> <laughs> but the answer the correct answer is two two that's intriguing <laughs> ten, <laughs> ten by mid-afternoon that was a bad answer this isn't skinamax you know <laughs> um okay uh, who, who was susan leffitt supposed to resemble rita hayworth correct lefferts uh, by the way lefferts yes um and the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, what four mm -hmm. things did the coroner find in Matt Reynolds's stomach? This is where Todd oh. and I debated. Apparently, there's five things. I only wrote down four. Um, my DVD subtitle was not always the most reliable, shall we say? I mean, one of them was semen. I remember that. Correct. Um. Bourbon. Mm. Alcohol. Alcohol. We'll go with it. Um, 
I don't know. Here's the question. Could you really find the semen? I mean, is it like the spinal tap line where you can't really dust for vomit? I mean, what was the process? This wasn't like DNA technology in 1953. But Valid point. Okay, I'm sorry. You I, got two I, points I'm, for that. I'm done. Uh, Frankfurter's French fries, alcohol, and sperm, and Todd says Coca-Cola, which I believe. Um, where is Lynn from, and what do girls there need? That was my Terry question of the day. <laughs> Arizona. Okay, I'll give you. I'll give you a half point for that. Is, is, well, oh, did, did, did we need to be more specific? Yeah, than Arizona? be more specific. Yes. Scottsdale. No, Bisbee. Bisbee. Not, not do... Mesa, Arizona, the home of uh, Best Supporting Actor winner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was his? I'm sorry. What, what was his name? Troy Kotzer. I'm really Troy glad Kotzer, you yeah. remembered that. <laughs> it bugged me that I missed that. I would have tied trivia last week, and I just stupidly. It's the, the one that you I said knew. Massachusetts, didn't you? That's <laughs> what the movie was said. I was confused. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea what girls uh, from there need. Biz, Bisbee and a little glamour. Um, what is the movie playing on the billboard that Jack walks by? Oh, it's uh, the... Is it like the Bad and the Beautiful? The Bad and the Beautiful is correct. Zero chance Terry's seen the movie. Nope, nope. <laughs> but but not only, not only is it the movie that's on the billboard when Jack walks by, but it's the movie that someone else goes to see at some point yeah it's it's seen multiple times that yeah, yeah. was established when todd couldn't answer the question and what is fun i feel like todd reviewed that movie at some point i almost said the bold and the beautiful but that's a soap opera yeah wrong genre um how many cutbacks to alec baldwin were there during kim basinger's oscar acceptance speech <laughs> five uh Todd, you said two and a half. The correct answer is three, so Todd gets the point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew I knew I had the right answer. <laughs> and the and last <laughs> they do a split screen or something. Is that what you're going for? I, I don't know. I, I, I was taking the taking the Vegas route on that and I was <laughs> hedging my bets. Uh... What well, she did give him a kiss, so you could almost call that a cut cutback at the beginning. Um what line, last question, what line is spoken on the DVD menu and who says it? Oh, it's, it's the, it's Danny DeVito. Correct. Uh, off the record on the QT and very hush hush. Correct. So uh, a very close game, but by a score of 11 to nine and a half, Todd is the victor somehow. Even what? though he just saw it today. For, no, for only the second time. <laughs> because he got the French fries shit. He got all that. Oh, man. Frankfurter. Well, yeah. he just watched it. Like he he finished right before we got on the podcast. So and the semen, I and yes, the semen sealed it for time. I love that. I love that that came at the end. Uh, French fries, frankfurter, alcohol, and semen. <laughs> you know, just ordinary everyday semen. Yeah, uh, see it all the time. What do you right. say? He's like, what a last supper. You know. <laughs> well, let's talk about LA Confidential. I'm the one that picked this, so I'm going to talk about it first. Uh, this is a 1997 film, uh, really kind of, I, I, we'll, we'll talk a little more about this, but definitely uh, film noir inspired, if not film noir complete. Uh, looking back at the 50s and corruption in the police department in Los Angeles, and uh, you've got a star-studded cast, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, Kim Basinger, James Cromwell, Danny DeVito, David Strathairn, uh, 
It's uh, one of the first roles from Simon Baker before he was known as Simon Baker. Um, what is he another... credited as? Simon He's... Baker what? Denny, I think. Simon Baker Denny. And did you did, did any of us know, like, uh, legitimately that he was Australian? Yes, I knew that. I did, <laughs> I did know not that. know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew he was Australian. But yeah, you, you never actually hear him in his. It was like the first time I found out that like Hugh Laurie was <clears throat> was British. It's like, what? What? Uh, but yeah, it, it, it has a very, very complicated, intricate plot of, of, uh, you know, drug busts and murders and, and all this stuff. And mainly just revolving around three characters and it's Spacey, Crow and Pierce. And, um, this movie, I, like I said, it's, it's one of my all time favorites. It's, it's my number one of the, of 97, which is why I said we had to do this one, even though Zach isn't a huge fan even though it says on the website, he gave it three stars. Um, But as I was watching it this time, it it had been a while since I watched it, but I realized in watching it that this movie is one of those movies that helped me fall in love with film. Like this is one of those movies that came out right around that, that, that right time. I, I think I was in middle school when it came out. I probably didn't watch it until it was all over TNT in high school and, always caught parts and bits of it, but never, never the whole thing. But it's one of those movies that I, when I watched, I was like, this is what movies could be. And, uh, and it's one of those movies that just made me love the medium even more. And, uh, it, it's got, it's noir, but it's got some sentimentality to it, which is one of the things that, I mean, I, I love in film and it's, it's just so entertaining and such a fun plot to follow and um, some great twists and turns throughout. I love this movie. I love it. Uh, Todd, I'll go to you next. Yeah. So <clears throat> I watched this uh, I'm, for the second time all the way through, like, uh, like I told Zach a few hours ago and I did really like this movie the first time I saw it. It has a lot of things I like. I mean, the cop stories, the twists. I mean, at that time in the 90s, like, you could actually pull off a twist. That would really work. And this one has one of those. I, I still really like this movie. It, I mean, the themes are things that I still really respond to. Uh, last I checked, like, I mean, like, last it was updated, it has it's my number seven of 1997. That's what it says. I'm, wow. I'm still okay with that. I, I, I do really like this. And uh, the main characters are all really interesting and really different uh, at a time when they, they all still were, no, I'm not going to say unknowns, but they, they, they weren't like Hollywood royalty. Like, like Russell Crowe was going to be Hollywood royalty like two years later. Like he, he was going to have his, like, his run. This is a really interesting time for all of them. Curtis Hansen was a really good director and not one that really ever got his due other than uh, for, I guess, writing this movie. It's, I, it's, a, it's a really good movie. It's a really cool, twisty movie and a uh, noirish movie. And I love noirs uh, probably more than anybody that I know and 
it does feel like a movie that was a product of its time if, if the movie was made like 40 years earlier, which I, I actually really appreciate. Yeah, I will say this is a movie that as, as I watched it, I like, like I said, I remembered why I why I loved it at the same time. I was like, is it really as good as I said it was? Because it's kind of held this like lofty spot since it had been a while since I since I'd watched it. I don't know if I'd still put it number 23 of all time, uh, but... Uh, you did just do that list 18 months ago, though. Yeah, but I didn't... I hadn't <laughs> even watched months, it in a like, while. I think uh, this is a theme of, uh, of, of when we revealed those lists. I, I think that we have talked about a lot of them in the last 18 months, and I think that we are just like... <laughs> like, Zach, I feel like has done this like at least six or seven times. Is it number 14 of all time? I don't know. Maybe it's not in my top 100. It, it, do, do I remember any of Rachel getting married? I don't know. Probably not. I, I, I fall asleep halfway through, but it's good. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Look how that just turned into an attack on me. Like, what so, are you, what are you, We've had this conversation. Now, I will I will say, so I've, I've mentioned this before. I have I have this list that I have here that I must have made at least 15 years ago that that are my top 25 favorite movies of all time la confidential sits number eight on on that list and, wow, and i wait, haven't updated you're, it you're what, cooled off of it you're not how, you wait like where is where is this list and it's just a, using... i just have it privately on my own spreadsheet but wait a second okay like, so is, it, is this with your us? own rankings or with, no with your, no with your no point this system? is 100 percent like what i and how does that compare to your list that you put out when we were uh Oh, this is so this is so far. This is like this is so far out. Why wouldn't you just share your list? This is so far out of date. So g- give us 1 through 10. 1 through 10. So Like what uh, are we doing here? So do you want me to start <laughs> at 10? Hour. So yes. 10 10 is Mr. Like Smith goes to Washington, country. 9 a beautiful mind. Oh, these are so eight, different than your 8 LA Confidential, movies. 7 Memento, 6 Shawshank Redemption, 5 Kill Bill together. 4 wow. once Three Band of Brothers, two Almost Famous, one Apollo 13. So is this like how the Oscars try to do the art film versus popular film thing? And you just are, you know, you don't want to confess to really loving these movies more? I don't know. 11 was The Count of Monte Cristo. 12, <laughs> A League of Their Own. Where's The Avengers? That's got to be on there. I, I haven't this updated this that. list. Like, once is the most recent movie I put on this list. So it's at oh, least okay. 15 years old. Or it's, it's 15 years old was the last time That's... I even attempted to change it. Man, you got Kilbo really high. That's really good, I actually. I did. Well, what it's the, 25 and 26 on my top 100. What other I, secrets are you keeping from us? I've like, mentioned this list was, before. I have mentioned it before. Did you really, did you yeah. really like that movie with Winston Duke in the afterlife? or What was really on your list? <laughs> that wasn't your number one. You're keeping, you gotta be kidding. You, you know, something else. Uh... Well, Zach. now we have to ask that every time. We can't just you can't just lay that out there and like you know. What do you really right. think, Terry? You're, what what you're, how you're what's your star rating for this? You're ready for the list? funniest part of this list. The funniest part of this list, number twenty four on this top twenty five, Elizabethtown. Oh yes, yeah. there we go. Elizabeth. I think See, I if like you would have if you would have said that when we were revealing our top hundreds, that would have been awesome. I should have. But Todd, was there a prop for Terry plus and wait plus half likely to for for Terry to reveal a secret list? 
Like what? What was the plus? What was the line I could have got for that? Like plus eighteen hundred. On this episode, I don't know. I mean, no, I've episode. mentioned this before. I've mentioned this list before. It's not the first time this has come up. That's our. Has it been on the air though? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it has. Is this? We'll I don't remember when. About that. I don't remember when, but I'm pretty sure it's been on the air. Yeah. The only, I, I have one other mini series on the list. Number eighteen is from the Earth to the Moon, which Zach has to see at some point. All was right. That, that was that has to be the most recent thing on the list. Yeah, that's was that like twenty twelve or something. Six, right? From the Earth to the Moon was nineteen ninety eight. Oh. Wait. So which? What am I thinking of? What was the What was the mini series about the the right stuff? No. Are you thinking the for all mankind? Oh know. yeah, for all mankind, the one on that, Disney. That no, that's that's the that's the Apple TV Plus show. Oh, um, that's not a miniseries. I don't know what you're thinking of. Okay, uh, we should always have a segment where we scrutinize Terry's secret list, <laughs> like a recurring bit. <laughs> well, well, Zach, tell us why you hate LA Confidential. Okay, I actually have good reason for hating it. So I dare say I've seen this movie more than either of you, and the reason is because back in a previous life when I was a graduate student. Uh, and we taught film 100. Inevitably, we knew that everybody would hate film noir because nobody actually likes it. So to get the undergrads I to do. like it, we thought, let's actually show a more recent color movie with like actors that maybe they've recognized. And uh, so I've seen that movie um, a lot. I've seen this movie a lot. Now, normally I would check out, you know, emotionally and mentally quite a bit and physically too and spiritually. But uh, I've seen this movie collectively many, many times. Um, and I always got assigned the class that had to show this movie. It was almost like a running joke. Like, and the class was film noir. Sorry, the whole class was film noir. It was like a, so uh, this was our representation of, uh, I guess, recent noir. So I've seen it a million times. I feel like Elaine Bennis watching The English Patient on Seinfeld. Like, I just feel like I have to watch it over and over again. It's torture. And I also kind of feel like the episode of Seinfeld where the cult doesn't uh, try to uh, get George to join its membership. I want to like this movie. Everybody loves it. It's got the Oscars. I know Terry has it number 23 and even higher on his secret list. I just can't really like it. It's just dumb. I'm not a film noir fan, although I have liked several film noirs, but this one is just... Uh, it. I don't know why it focuses on three different characters. Oh, I know that they come together at the end, but it makes the movie really scattershot and hard to follow. I think the Russell Crowe character is ridiculous. You know, he's this defender of women who beats up a woman in the movie. And when the most recent time we screened it for students, when we watched it, uh, that scene at the end of the movie, when um, uh, Kim Basinger says, some men get the world, other men get ex-hookers in a trip to Arizona, the, the class laughed, <laughs> okay? That was, they, they erupted in laughter. It had, what a horrible, corny line that was and just a terrible last scene. And that was like, okay, I give up on this movie. I throw in the hat. I can't, I can't even pretend to like it anymore so the three stars is generous it comes from probably you know my 2011 uh feeling about the movie i now give it a very charitable two stars because as bad as it is i guess it's fun to talk about i mean i've never had this much fun talking about la confidential and we haven't even really talked about it yet but i think <laughs> it's kind of a steaming pile of garbage and it's inexplicable that this wow. movie uh, like would beat out Jackie Brown for best adapted screenplay, which I know wasn't nominated, but like the screenplay is really the biggest issue in this movie. Brian Helgeland, writer of 42 classics like that. Curtis Hansen, classics director of The River Wild. Um, you know, real talent. You're an asshole. <laughs> like, what are you doing to this? Like, okay, yeah, the, the writer of Mystic River and the director of Eight Mile. Yeah, okay. And plus, it's not throwing in the hat. Nobody throws in the hat. It's throwing in the towel, you oh, jackass. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> that reminds me, I got uh, my, my wife while she was running errands was listening to our podcast and I got a text from her that said, the Australian brush? What the hell is Zach talking about? It's the bush. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common error. <laughs> it happens. Well, uh, it, it is a... Uh, you, you, we are talking about film noir, and we're about to reveal our highest war, as you, as you, uh, uh, as you so eloquently say every time. But I don't know. You're being way too hard on this movie. I, th- I think you, it, it has become something that you love, love to hate. No, yeah, a little. That's, that's I mean, there's a, there's yeah. some enjoyment of it. I, I mean, I'll give you that. Like, I think it's fun to watch. Like the scene where Russell Crowe has the chair and he's so angry about hearing about a rapist that he rips the chair apart. I Russell Crowe in chairs in this movie is just fascinating because there's a later scene where he throws a chair out the window. I don't know how you can take that seriously. I like to have fun with movies. So, you know, I enjoy having fun with it. I can't take it seriously. I feel like this movie is closer to the era that it's trying to pay an homage to than the era that we live in right now. Like you could make fun of the, the, the style of the filmmaking like you could the 50s with this movie. However, I'm trying to be charitable. Terry and Todd obviously like it more than I do. I'm just saying it was it was kind of in a weird way around about fun, fun movie. There's also a scene where he picks up a chair that was bolted to the floor. Oh, yeah. And with a yeah. person attached to the chair. <laughs> Not just yeah. a person. It was Danny DeVito. That's right. He slaps <laughs> Danny DeVito and the chair falls over. I, I want to talk about that scene later, by the way. I wrote that one down. All right. Well, let's let's get into some of the stuff we're talking about here, because this is film noir. And we're uh, uh, we decided we're going to do a Mount Rushmore of uh, film noir films that are in color. And we were going to talk about neo noir. But then we're like, well, really, what we're getting at is color. They're, they're movies, they're noir films that are in color. That's what we're doing. So, uh, obviously, this isn't the non-negotiable. Um, Mr. Two-star, two-star crapping on every aspect of it over there. So, Zach, what, it's uh, a fun what movie is to the watch, movie? Though. I had a fun time. So well, that's good. It's, it's not least. ineligible. It's just fun. You know, it's fun what, in the what, same way that... What are you going to talk about? What, what oh. are you going to pick? I'm going to talk about a noir movie that I recently saw that you guys may have assigned me, and that's Body Heat. What, that was a great uh, movie. And, you know, hey, I, I, I don't like film noir, but I can appreciate a good movie. Like, Body Heat was awesome. I'm really glad you guys told me to watch it. And great early performance by Mickey Rourke <laughs> and some awesome work. Uh, isn't Jeff, was Jeff Goldblum in it? I, um, and uh, no. obviously Kathleen Turner and William Hurt. Ted Danson's in it. Ted Danson. I'm sorry. I, I confused them. Um, but uh, yeah, awesome movie. And the reason I like Body Heat more than movies like this is because it actually had really interesting characters and it didn't have a big cover up and it was more just about how this the the Kathleen Turner character twists and turns and gets this guy to do anything she wants which is classic film noir um so uh you know it was a a really fun movie uh awesome time and that's the that's the film noir that I guess I hold other color noir films to be judged by one of my favorite follows on Twitter right now is a uh, is a Twitter account that's called Is Today Ted Danson's Birthday, and it has one tweet a day, and the tweet just simply reads, "This is not Ted Danson's birthday." It's pretty great until the day it is, and then it'll say, "Happy yeah. birthday, Ted Danson." Good, good to know. Yeah. All right, Todd, what are you going with? Uh... I mean, this is tough. I mean, I, I do really love noir. The 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 one that I think absolutely has to be mentioned is Basic Instinct, which mm. is 
the Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone movie directed by Paul Verhoeven. Noir is characterized by things like the, I mean, it has to be like sort of like a detective story and there's got to be a lot of like uh, narration and a sort of sinister female character. I feel like all of these things need to be present and basic instinct is one of those that feels like if it it could have been made by Kubrick or not by Kubrick, uh, but like Hitchcock, if it was made like 30 years earlier or something or 40 years earlier even, but it's not because it was a nineties movie and it, it, I don't know, it's fantastic. I mean, basic instinct is one of those that we absolutely should deep dive at some point. It, it is a <laughs> astonishing document of, of, uh, of nineties cinema. <laughs> That is a great idea. Why didn't we deep dive? The year's not over yet, right? That would be no, a I mean, great, that was, great movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I could cheese that <laughs> as the next one. I've never seen Basic Instinct. But I, I feel <sighs> the exact same way about Basic Instinct that I do this movie. It's like, it's so cheesy that like, it's it's a fun watch. I don't know if I could take any of it seriously, but Ebert, Ebert wanted to give Basic Instinct 2 uh, four stars. Basic Instinct 2 back in session. Or, or whatever it's called. Wait, he wanted to give it like eight stars? Is that what you're saying? No, he wanted to give it four stars. He he secretly oh. on his oh, secret Basic list Instinct two. Okay, I yeah, on his secret say. list of 2006 <laughs> movies, it was number one of his secret list, and he gave it four stars the year it came out. All right, uh, I'm gonna go <laughs> look it up. He, he talks about it in his review. I'm sorry, Terry, go for it. Oh, that's fine. color noir. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking here. There's one that I think is going to be like a slam dunk non-negotiable or uh, or consensus pick that is the one I would normally go with here. So why not go with it so we guarantee to do it? <laughs> I'm just going to go with it so we guarantee it's in there. If I'm going to talk about a color noir film, the first one I think of always is Chinatown. And so okay. that's the one I'm going to go with. Um, and... I'm going with it over LA Confidential, even though LA Confidential is 23 on my list. Well, Chinatown's 28, okay? So it's not like it's that much further away on my list. And after rewatching Ellie Confidential, I need to rewatch Chinatown. It's been a while, but I'd probably put Chinatown above it. It is it, it's a great movie. It it feels um Chinatown feels like it tries a little more to be noir. Uh where it 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 has it works harder on the filmmaking to to throw in a lot more of the classic tropes of noir like camera shots and things like that. That LA Confidential doesn't necessarily go for. Uh, it just kind of goes for in tone and uh, and uh, subject matter. Uh, Chinatown leans all the way into it and is is noir in in every aspect of of what a, you expect from a noir film. So, Chinatown's my pick. Oh, so disappointed, Terry. Why didn't you go with the Big Lebowski? That's what I. That's where I thought this conversation <laughs> was going <laughs> when you said it's the one color film, the one color noir. But uh, I guess to respect history, we have to mention Chinatown. I love I love that movie. And talk about I mean, the twists and turns of LA Confidential are nothing compared to the twists and turns of, twists and turns of Chinatown. Are we ever going to um, see the two Jakes? Or are we just going to talk about seeing it but never actually see it? That, I don't that's know. amusing too. We're, we're going to see it. We'll see it, it I mean, we'll, we'll keep teasing the audience. I don't know. Exactly. The audience want every week they tune in, just like you know they want to see Matt Damon on Jimmy Kimmel. They want to hear our review of the two Jakes. All right. What's our consensus pick? See, I thought I thought Chinatown would be an easy consensus pick. Yeah. But 
Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is a good one. Taxi so I actually noir? found. So I found a you list. You don't think here. that's a film noir? Like no. watch the movie and think and think about film noir. It's got it's got everything that you need in a film noir. Mm. So I found a list that was put out in December of 2020 by Screen Rant of the top 10 best film noirs shot in color. And I'm just going to list these off. And and because it kind of it kind of like redefines okay. what a film noir is and, and looks at some newer stuff that you may not necessarily think about. Anyways, number 10 is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, mm. which is funny. Number nine is Drive. That's number, not that, that is not a that's yeah, not a that's film debatable. Noir. Yeah. Uh, number eight is the long goodbye. Well, that's one of my honorable mentions. Of course. Uh, number seven is the dark night. No. Which I mean, if you think about it, it has all the classic tropes of a noir. It doesn't have the the female character in it though. Number Femme six fatale. is number six is blood simple. Uh, number that's a little five, closer. Miller's Crossing maybe would get a little closer too. Number five is <laughs> Les Samurai. Oh, okay. Jean-Pierre Melville. Alain Delon. Uh, yeah. Number four is Taxi Driver. Number three, Blade Runner. Number two, Chinatown. Number one, Vertigo. Mm, that's that's dubious as well. I don't know. Like, I feel like if you're if you're in the genre of film noir, you're in the genre. You're not doing hybrid. Okay, we're not going to have a scene of existential. <laughs> crisis at the like at the end of taxi driver like i feel like it needs to be a little bit more straightforward in terms of just fitting in the description of the genre you need to be like set in the 50s with men in fedoras <laughs> for it to be film noir because that kind of feels like maybe it just needs to be corny <laughs> i thought about brick i like i really liked brick i think that's, I mean, absolutely that's a definitely a, that's definitely a neat noir sure i haven't seen that one what were some of your other honorable mentions, Todd? Uh, I wrote down Homicide, expert. the David Mamet movie, my number one of nineteen ninety one, and Motherless Brooklyn. Basically, because we're never going to ever talk about that movie, and uh, I don't think either of you have seen it. That. But yeah. that is absolutely a movie that wants to be a nineteen like forties, fifties noir. And it's pretty good. See, I kind of want to change my pick to LA Confidential so we can just agree on Chinatown. I would say House of Games is more of a noir than Homicide of the Mement movies. <laughs> really? Yeah, like House of Games has that sort of like intrigue and, and mystery with the shady neighborhoods. And I think Homicide was making like larger points about urban decay and stuff. I don't know. I mean, noir has got to be more detective than that. At least that's the way that I've always understood it. It's possible. I'm okay with making Ella Confidential the Terry's pick, but so we can go with Chinatown. I like, but it. at the same time, I'm, I I mean, I think we all like Taxi Taxi Driver. I know Zach uh, retroactively said he didn't like it as much when we like every other movie that we ever deep dive. But uh, no, obviously it's a great movie. I just I, I object more to it being labeled as a noir than its quality. I, well, I'm let's okay. go with ones that are that are actual noir that that are undeniable noir. I'll I'd be pick okay. LA Confidential, and we go. With yeah, the, and then China. we go with with uh, Chinatown as the as the okay. fourth. Yeah, that okay, makes sense. Okay. So Body Heat, Basic Instinct, LA Confidential, and Chinatown. That's a solid. That's a solid Mount Rushmore there. 
don't know. You were the professor of noir, Zach. So I did. I taught that class so many times. I didn't teach it, but I, I had to be there. And I saw all those movies many, many times. Wait, what? Okay. <laughs> I taught that class so many times. I didn't teach it, but I was there. Okay. Well, no, no, no. I'm just, well, I, I, need I was repeating what Terry said. I did not teach it. I was the graduate. <laughs> you assistant. said that you had to do this a lot of We time. got assignments. Yes. When you're, when you're a GTA, you get assignments to different classes. And I was always assigned the noir class, inevitably, even though I tried to trade it. It was like when a, you're a, a long stick of auto. Graduate teaching assistant, but close. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, okay. let's, let's do our recasting here. This, oh, this is happening. This is fun. <laughs> this is fun. All right. This is you should do this more often. I know. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about recasting this movie. If this movie came out today, who would star in it? We're gonna start with Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey. Really? Todd, who do you have? Not Bud. Okay. Um, Kevin Spacey's first build. That's why I'm going. That's, with him. Honestly, uh, th this cast is pretty amazing. And I would say this is like a perfect cast in some in in very in a lot of ways. It's but at the same time, I feel like it is so clear who would play this now. Uh, Jack Vincennes <laughs> is. I mean, he's already played with Ryan Gosling in a very similar detective kind of movie. Ryan Gosling. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling have played uh, like in the nice guys. Like I think Ryan Gosling is that just Hollywood. Can't you just see his, his persona in the, in that role? I don't no. know. Yeah. No. Jackman says is a wannabe. You can't have the looks of Ryan Gosling and like just be a, you know, consultant on set. You no, he, he's, he's absolutely that, that sort of, he I think it's okay. in front of the camera. It's an okay and... pick. It's not as obvious as you are making it seem it is. But it's no, an, okay. It's, it's well, th that was actually not the that was the, the least easy of them. But the rest. But at the same time, it, it's Ryan Gosling. Okay, that's one of the ones I considered, but not who I went with. Zach, Terry, who, who you got? I was gonna go to Zach next. Okay. Um. So this movie has a distinction. It is the St. Mary's Gales of the 1997 Oscars in the sense that they have all Australian players. Um, <laughs> so it, if, and if we're taking that metaphor Just a step further, brilliant. Titanic is obviously the Gonzaga of the 97 Oscars because it beats St. Mary's every, every freaking game. Right. So, um, I went with an all Australian cast <coughs> and, uh, obviously Academy Award winner, uh, Jane Campion was the director and, uh, who was it? Oh, uh, Vincennes. I went with Hugh Jackman. And I think we could include a song and dance number somewhere in there. A heartfelt song and dance number. He's way, way too old. Probably 15 years too old to play Jack Vincennes. He's the father of the son who's a teenager, so he couldn't be that old. And um, Oh, man. I, I, He's the father was... of the son. Uh, you just... Okay. <laughs> just... Okay, Terry. All right. Uh, so I thought about Ryan Gosling. The one I went with was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, I thought but, he fit a little bit. But see, Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. now is almost too easy because of prisoners. Like, <coughs> I feel like he could almost get typecast. Isn't the isn't the movie. nice guys the easy version of this? Like Ryan Gosling is that character, and, and you mix Ryan Gosling in the in the nice guys, and you mix him in um, in La La Land, and then you have Jack Vincent. I I agree that this was one of the harder ones to recast. Okay, Spacey. Spacey is. Spacey is Spacey. All right. 
um, a nice cold Bud White played by uh, <laughs> played by Russell Crowe. Uh, Todd, who do you got? If you're looking for somebody who's going to be fiery, a little violent, and you don't really know what's going to happen next, I mean, I mean, it, it is cheating, but it's Shia LaBeouf. I mean, this, this is <laughs> every his, deep dive it, as it, you were talking character. about it. I, Shia yeah. LaBeouf. As I mean, are you going to argue like, though? No, no, it's it's a it's obviously a very inspired pick, especially with his steadfast respect for women. <laughs> Well, I mean, I could have gone with stuff. the, I could have gone with like Liam Hemsworth or something, and gone gone with the Australian or something, but I don't know. No, is is Shia LaBeouf? This is this is his role. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> is, pretty good. That is pretty good. He's in real life. Back. Okay, all right. I, I I went with the Hemsworth. I went with Chris. I don't know the difference it's, between the Hemsworths. It's not. So is it's, he Thor? it's not Chris though. It's it, he's Thor. He's Thor. Okay, so I'm going. Thor. I'm going with Chris. Chris Hemsworth. See, all right. Bud White is a big burly guy, just like the his taste. He's not his, that burly. He looks really short. No, he's barley, not burly. But uh, <laughs> yes, I, I think Chris Hemsworth is in shape, so that's really the reason. And he's Australian. All right. Well, if if it was obvious that Todd was going with uh, with Shia LaBeouf, then it should be obvious that I'm going with Aaron Taylor Johnson. No, oh, there, there we go. So this yeah. is just a nocturnal animals. Uh, re, re, I mean, it, and, I realized that after the first couple that I was All like, right. oh, Amy man, Adams just... is Lynn. That's interesting. Okay. Of no, course, that's of course, Michael Shannon is Dudley. <laughs> of course, he is. It's actually really good. And David Spencer really is that. the is the orgy with the fat lady. <laughs> oh man, why didn't I? Why did I should have just kept on leaning into it, but I didn't. Uh all right, Edmund Exley, played by Guy Not Pierce. Edward, Todd. Okay, well, I mean, the the problem is that this movie is like super racist toward black people. Other than that, I mean, <laughs> John David Washington is the perfect Exley if it wasn't set in the fifties. So I can't really go with that. Uh, I would. So I instead said Keir Gilchrist, who is the lead in. Um, it, uh, it's kind of a funny story. He's basically like uh, Logan Lerman light, but it, which is basically what Guy Pierce is or was at that time. I, I think Keir Gilchrist is, is is the perfect type of person that would play Edmund. And you, okay. judging by the looks on your faces, you don't know who that is. I have no idea no. who that is, but I, mean, you, you, I know one of you watched that movie, right? It's I kind of a funny story. Oh yeah, I, I watched it. Yeah, the the main character. I mean, I saw it thirteen years ago, but okay. <laughs> okay, well, he is clearly. It's always nice when we go with. Nice to bring back people. Has people he been doing we, much in yeah. the last thirteen years? I'm not sure. We look it up. It's an inspi- It's kind of like how I picked uh, Emma from uh, Superbad for one of my choices. Becca, excuse me, not Emma. All right, Zach. <laughs> What'd you, what'd, you, what'd you do? Well, originally, because uh, off of watching that uh, wonderful movie we watched last week that Terry just watched this week, and I'm, uh, The Stranger, great title, I went with Sean Harris, but then I saw that he's 56 years old, and <laughs> Guy Pierce was supposed to be 30. Jeez. So uh, I changed my vote, even though Sean Harris, especially with a full beard, would have been really fun as that character, talking about him, he's bright-eyed, right-out of, right out, hey, college boy, with the beard. Um, I would have liked that. I went with uh, Cody Smith-McPhee. 
That's not bad. It's not bad. Counting How old is that kid? <laughs> Closer in age than 56, okay? I put in some effort there. There was some restraint. Uh, yeah, my pick might be a little old, but... He's 26. Um, yeah, he's still way too young. <laughs> oh, yeah, four years. Huge difference. Okay. My my pick might be a little old as well, but I went with it because once I thought of him, he, he looks a lot like Guy Pierce does in that movie, and that's Rami Malek. Yeah. He has the right kind of persona. It's not really. He did, he right did that in uh in that movie with Jared Leto and and uh, Denzel. He's also really old. He's forty one. I know, but he looks young, so he could pull it off. The little know. things was that the, the little movie? things that the was the movie. Things. Why was wow. that on our boring title list? You watched that? Yeah, it was a it was an HBO Max original when we like didn't have anything to watch. January? Wasn't it like a January, February movie? It was, yep. It was I mean, really if I wanted to go with someone younger, I could have just gone with Glenn Powell, but I didn't. I there we go. With, oh, it's Rami Malek. All right. Mm -hmm. Next, we've got uh, Dudley, played by the wonderful James Cromwell. Uh, this was his follow-up to That'll Do Pig. Uh, Todd, who do you have? So this is the second easiest pick. It is uh, David Thewlis. <coughs> David Thewlis um, is the... He is the absolutely the James Cromwell of the, the 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 next twenty years or whatever. Like that character needs to be somebody who who has the the look of being a little sinister, but at the same time, he he also looks like he could be the boss, and you're never going to suspect him of being of being uh, evil. And uh, David Thewlis is the James Cromwell. Of this generation, of this generation, yeah, absolutely. But has he played a farmer before, though? And could he be believable as a farmer? Well, he was believable as an, as, as an angsty animated character. I could see it. I could see it. All right, Zach, what do you got? Um, keeping with my Australian casting, I went with the star of Terry's number one Australian movie of all time, the one and only director of My Best Friend's Wedding, Paul John Hogan. Who I had to check if he was still alive. <coughs> Hasn't done those Subaru commercials for a while, so hope he's doing okay. Shout out. Uh, lovely, lovely. Uh, I might like the Michael Shannon pick more than my my actual <laughs> pick, but uh, I went with Robert Patrick. Mm. I feel like he, mm -hmm. he fits in that persona that Todd mentioned really well too. So, all right, Lynn, played by. Oscar winner Kim Basinger. Todd, what do you got? Christina Hendricks. End Ooh. of story. Yeah. Done. That's good. That's good. That is good. Zach? Australia. I'm obviously going Nicole Kidman. Mm. I thought that was the easiest pick. <clears throat> she's like 70, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if she's quite that old. <laughs> But uh, I, your point is valid, but I'm You're going to look a day over 90. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my my Exley was going to be Sean Harris and my bud is Hugh Jackman. No, Jack is Hugh Jackman. So I'm going with an older cast. And, and I believe Jane Campion is 70, <laughs> which is what we learned last week on Trivia. So it's an older director and an older cast. Well, I went a and lot Cody younger. Smithy. 
I went a lot younger with Lynn. I went with Jennifer Lawrence. I feel like she actually looks <laughs> more like Veronica Lake than Kim Basinger does. So now your nocturnal animals pick is going into David O. Russell territory with Rami Malek and Jennifer Lawrence. Can we get sure. Christian Bale with a glass eye and Bradley Cooper? Uh, you know, I mean, there's enough characters in this. There's enough characters in this movie. I'm sure we could find one. Okay. See, I had multiple people from Drive. I was trying to fit uh, Oscar Isaac in there somewhere, but I don't know. All right. Did you guys have any more? No. I had one more. I yeah. had the district attorney played by Paul from the Up series because he had facial hair. That was the only thing I was going for. At least I think he did. Maybe the porn the director. The only other one I had was uh, I had uh, Danny DeVito's character played by Jonah Hill. Mm. I thought that would work. That'd, Danny that'd DeVito's solid. character wouldn't be played by um, Peter Dinklage. See, you're just going with the short now. That's that's. I am that's actually. Just... I know that was a subtle point, but yeah, I'm glad you picked up on it. Don't don't you think Todd uh, Jonah Hill would be able to play Devito's character? Probably hasn't he played a star obsessed celebrity stalker in a movie? I feel like that wasn't that something he did. Oh, probably recently. I'm looking it up. Who would Nicolas Cage play? Yeah, it was uh, the the Comet movie. That we all love. Don't look up. Oh, don't look up. Yeah. It was kind of the same role. Who would Nicolas Cage play? Vincennes, right? I, I think in 97, he could have played Vincennes easily. Or Bud. Uh, early 90s. Early Wild 90s, he'd be Bud, yeah. Cage, yeah. Today, well, so... I'd say he'd play Pierce Patchett. Strathairn's character. <laughs> I guess that'd, the real be, question that'd be is, interesting. I mean, he could play Dudley too, yeah. but I mean, it'd be too obvious that he'd be super intricate in the plot. I think he could play Exley too. I mean, he could play every character, obviously. Hobby would agree with us. But like, <laughs> there's a little bit of Stanley Goodspeed in Exley. Like, you know, yes, please, sir, and thank you, ma'am. Like, very orderly and a little bit OCD and, you know, science, chemistry, super freak. No, actually, he's not a chemistry super freak, but. Who would 90s Giamatti play? This was a good question. I struggled oh, with this. There are actually a few. Like, oh, really? This is the one nice. of the first time since we've been doing this is there actually are multiple answers. But I, my first one I wrote down is he would play one of the Night Owl victims. Oh, no. <laughs> no. He usually has a line or two. Oh, dude, that is horrible. <laughs> Why would he be one of the like a just a dead body? <laughs> Can you tell that it was his body? <coughs> or was it is it like a Kevin Costner or maybe, big chill situation? Or maybe like he, he'd be extra. one of like the Mickey Cohen uh like lieutenants that got hit in the in the opening monologue. Maybe he could be Mickey Cohen in the deleted scenes. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. What do you guys have? Todd, what do you have? Um I have uh the liquor store owner. Um, the forensics <laughs> yeah, chief, the yeah, forensics forensic chief, who is of course that. Zach uh, Murphy. But he's too big. Right? I don't think Giamatti could play a role that big, though, and I don't think he could deliver lines about you know, <laughs> dusting. And I also sperm. think I also see him as being just like the slimy uh, Sid Hudgens, so Hudges, um, like because I mean, it's like it's like when Philip Seymour Hoffman played Freddie Lowndes. I, I I feel like. Giamatti could absolutely do that. Like he, he could, he could be like the, just that I don't know, just that yeah, the the nasty reporter guy 
You're only saying that because in Donnie Brasco, you watched not, mid-90s Giamatti sit at a typewriter. <laughs> well, and I, I would well, agree that it's like... Hey, Russell Crowe does sit at a typewriter in this movie, too, so... <laughs> and he doesn't I, punch it, which is impressive. <laughs> I agree that it's like 2010s Giamatti could definitely be Hudgens. I, I think that's actually a really good call. Like, big fat liar Paul Giamatti could have fit into that role. But ninety before 2010. It's only like six years after this. Yeah, with Frankie Muniz. Uh, I said the guy who holds up the lighting when they make the celebrity pot arrest. Mm. But maybe that's too minor. I like the liquor store owner. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's go with that. That's a good. That's 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 the best one. one. Yeah. What does Adam think this movie's about? I mean, obviously he loves it because it's in his top 100. Um, I think he thinks it's about a soccer team called the LA Confidential. I said he thinks it's about the Hollywood blacklist. <laughs> I said there are two things he could think it's about. One is he, it's a French film called La La Confidentielle. Um, and the other thing I thought is that he saw the headline Bloody Christmas and thought it was an Adam movie about a bloody Christmas. <laughs> and named it uh, his number one movie of the year. It's not his number one. I think it's his number two. He has it at number two. A movie called Bloody Christmas would be his number one, though. What is his number one? Oh, Goodwill Hunting, obviously. Okay. All right. Highest war for the film noir uh, goes to who, Zach? Uh, Danny DeVito. I think he's the the one actor in the movie that it's kind of hard. We were even saying it jokingly with Giamatti, but it's kind of hard to replace that. It's a perfect time for... Danny DeVito, um, and I'm, I'm I, maybe my favorite scene in the movie really truly is his interrogation scene because it does seem as though they get a chair for smaller size people. And I've never seen a movie where Danny DeVito gets slapped around like that. I mean, that was kind of amusing and interesting um, on the interrogation scene. Uh, but uh, I like that he's the narration. And I asked that question about the narration in the DVD because I had to run to the kitchen and grab something. And I heard that line literally 40 times on repeat. And uh, it's a great line. And Danny DeVito is wonderful in this movie and everything he's in. Not going to lie. While you were talking about that, I'm watching Football Night in America and the Jersey Mike's commercial with Danny DeVito turned on. Yeah, I see that right now. Yeah. Yeah, it, was that, meant to that be. Was, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. All right. Uh, Todd, you go next. Really? Um, <laughs> one or, I, I have 50 50 shot. I have two I, I, I can't pick between. So I'm, I'm going to have you uh, hopefully make the decision for me. Uh, should I go with the obscure pick or should I go? I, I don't know. I mean, I, whatever. I'm going with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. It, th- that that role is so just so sly so absolutely kevin spacey with that smirk on his face uh, i mean and when you watch it now it, it's like okay i mean obviously with him and simon baker some of those scenes are really weird uh especially the way they're written uh but it, it's perfect because it's kevin spacey and he uh, he is so good and and Originally, I wanted our Mount Rushmore to be Kevin Spacey's supporting roles. This would absolutely be the non-negotiable. And it, it, he is perfect in this movie. And I can't believe at that point that he was not nominated for an Oscar. 
Yeah, especially, I mean, this is two years after he won an Oscar for Usual Suspects. <clears throat> yes. Um, yeah, I. that was one of the ones that I had written down. Because uh, as I was recasting, that's one of the things I think about. As I was recasting, it was the hardest one to recast because his persona, his just demeanor is perfect for this role at that time in his career. Like it was, it was just like, it was just perfect. The, the glitzy glammy wanting to be more than he actually is, but getting a little bit of, uh, of honesty thrown at him. Uh, I had Danny DeVito written down too. I had three written down. I had Kevin Spacey. I had Danny DeVito. And the last one I had written down was Guy Pierce. Um, I think outside of Memento, this is the best Guy Pierce has ever been is in this movie. Uh, it might be because it's the movie that he had the most to do, but I, I feel like he he fits this role perfectly. Like this was, like I said before, I feel like this cast is perfect in so many ways, but he is such a he is the perfect person for this role. And it's not a great war pick because I have a feeling other people could could have played it just as well. But he is so good in it, and I feel like this is a role that was made for him. So I wanted to I wanted to shout him out, and I'll throw him in here. Yeah, there's a great YouTube clip of Bill Hader uh, talking about how he prepared for his role as Officer Slater, and he said all he wanted to do was make sure that he was a cop who wore glasses because that <laughs> idea was just so ridiculous to him that any cop would wear glasses and so pathetic. And that's all that I was thinking when I watched this movie the first 20 minutes, like Bill officer Slater, there he is. Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill Hader knows glasses on an officer looks ridiculous. All right. Bill Paxton Memorial worst performance award with an honorable mention to Carrie Elwes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he would have been good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach, who do you have? I went with Brenda Bakke as Lana Turner because she does not look a whole lot at all like Lana Turner. It's very understandable that someone would make the mistake that she's an actor trying to look like Lana Turner because in real life, Brenda Bakke is not Lana Turner. So uh, it's, a, it's a bad performance. It, the name of my seventh grade gym teacher was Barbara Bakke. That doesn't help. Uh, I will say, though, that's an amazing scene. Just like, just how, how he's going after her. And, and Vince says that is Lana Turner. <laughs> and then they get back to the car and well, all they could do is laugh. And, and maybe that's why Stacey's they cast her. Cause she doesn't actually look a lot like Lana Turner. So it's understandable to make that mistake. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, what's his name is smarter than I, I'm giving the movie. I, I mean, valid pick. I mean, she didn't really have anything to do, but uh, that was, uh, that, I, I love that <laughs> scene though. All right. Worst performance. You ready? You ready? The worst for performance in this is Kim Basinger. Mm. I, you can make a case for it. How did she win an Oscar for this? Over I, Minnie Driver and Julianne Moore. Yeah. The Oscars wow. love hookers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I they mean, do. There, there is that, but uh, she, had, she has hookers nothing to do in this. She has nothing to do in this. And, and she... She kind of looks like Veronica Lake. I don't know. She's got the hairdo. And she was a veteran actress that had that had a comeback role. That's really why she won the won the Oscar, but she's really not that good. Uh, I mean, she she cries in one scene. Uh she she has her her nice sultry voice that she uses. And that's it. And other other than that, she just stands there and tries to look like perfection. Uh which 
I mean, honestly, she does a pretty good job at. Uh, I, I asked my wife at one point in this, how old do you think she is in this? And she goes, I don't know, 27. And I said, she's 44 years old when she made this movie. And she goes, what? <laughs> Seriously? Because she doesn't look it. She doesn't look as old as she is. And that and that and that's saying something. But the actual performance, other, other than the outside of the look, left a lot to be desired. So... It's it's the coda of performances because it's like not a bad performance, but it never should have won an Oscar. And like, do you guys even know? I had to look this up. Do you know the scene they showed when they were presenting her as an Oscar nominee? Like, no. there's no there's not even an Oscar moment in in this performance. No, there isn't. Uh, I would I would say it's a uh, it's her in the police station. I no. say it's her in bed with Bob. No, no, no. It's the first time she meets Bud. Also referenced in the trivia, but like uh, it's the, such a what the 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 liquor store? No, I'm sorry, not that. This when Bud comes to her house. When Bud comes to the house. Yeah, their first okay. exchange. Yeah, but it's like even that scene. I mean, okay. I mean, she's monotone the whole time, and I know that's kind of the point. Well, that's, well but, yeah, that's who the character is. But it, I don't know, it doesn't work. I didn't think it. It was it, a narrative it, the Academy liked in 1997. It was the comeback story for. Kim it was Basinger. the it, it, absolutely. It was 100 the narrative. Uh, and and the I, would I be saying Kim Basinger if she hadn't won the Oscar? Probably not. But she did. It's like that. That's not where this movie needed to be rewarded. All right, Todd. Who do you have? Uh, I wrote down Graham Beckel as um, he is. Uh, is he the obscure his... pick? No, it's not that obscure. Uh, you know, he is Dicky Stensland. Oh, yeah. Good That's a great pick. Because I don't think yeah. he's necessarily he's bad. bad. He's just really, really exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Um, as this cop, he has a code. He's like this wannabe hard ass. But I, I feel like it would have been a lot more interesting if it was like a, grand, like a Bruno Kirby or something in that role. But, I mean, this guy is just, I mean, it doesn't work. It's a it, that's a good call. I have a hard time believing that he initiates the brawl in that jail cell. Like that's a little ridiculous. <laughs> it's a little hard for us to believe that this guy in his fifties with a beer gut is going to start a brawl with a bunch of Mexicans that they just arrested. It's just I don't know. I don't something about that just doesn't mesh. Also, I think there's a, a chair in that scene too that gets smashed. I I also <laughs> I also had a flaw written down about Stensland, and uh, my flaw was why is Bud so devoted to him? Because he's obviously that's a, a great horrible question too. Yeah, and, and Bud's uh, supposed to Bud's the hero. Why is he with this crooked cop for twenty years or whatever? Right. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's a good. That's a great point. And Todd's knocking down his microphone. It just fell over. <laughs> well, and you also got to think with Stensland. Think of how many misogynistic comments that he's made about women in those last twenty years. How did he not get the shit beat out of him by Russell Crowe? I mean, seriously. Come on. Russell Crowe loves women. That's the message of this movie. He protects women. Mm-hmm. Until he doesn't. Well, until he slaps one, yeah. But All right. very subtle theme that he loves women and respects them. Protects Amazing them. Larry Big Tim High Roller Minor Character of the Film Award goes to. I get to go first on this one. And I am going with, I'm looking for the name. Uh, Just say Forensic Gwen, Steve, right? Gwenda no. Deacon, who plays <laughs> Mrs. Lefferts. God damn it, Terry. <laughs> Screw you. This is the great character of this movie. It is a great, it's such a great character. She was on my list of worst performances. Mine too. But it's, <laughs> but it's a great character. 
Uh, if, if anyone else was going to play this, uh, play this character, it would be uh, Ron Howard's mother. Uh, I wrote down Lois Smith. Uh, no, it's it's Blanche Lovell. That's <laughs> his character. Level. Yeah, well, it looks it looks a little more like Blanche Lovell. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, so she can make washing machines to fly. Exactly. My Jimmy could land it. Yeah. Oh, he just found rats under the back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she lives by herself. Where's Rance would be the question. The, the, yeah, yeah. But no, that's 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 my pick. Mrs. Lefferts. Sorry, I stole your pick, Zach. Yeah, but I, I'll, I'll go to Todd next. So you get to figure it figured out. Todd. For my big Tim Mason Larry High Roller Award, I I I'll go with uh, District Attorney Ellis Liu, uh, played by Ron, <laughs> Ron Rifkin, Rifkin. just because that that role it does have actually a pretty high war because it, it is a really similar character that he has in uh, Boiler Room, and he he does not give up his his stance very very easily he has to get like shoved through some sort of like i don't know i don't even know what that was it was like a plywood gate or something that was like <laughs> preventing him from going off the the ledge of his of his office that character is really interesting and i, I want to see more interactions with him because i think you only see him once before he actually is almost thrown off uh, off of his own building it's a good rule that's a good run that's good Ron Rifkin. I haven't seen him for a while. Last time I saw him was on Alias, I think. <laughs> we're talking 20 years ago. I, I could I think of several people that could have played that role. There, like there were several guys wandering around that that were playing roles like that at the time. Uh like uh, oh um what's his but name? It's really Spano similar that... to Boiler Room, I'm saying. True, but uh what Joe Spano is that isn't that his name from Apollo 13 and NCIS? Joe uh, he Spano. could he could have played it. Um, the, uh, the guy who plays the, oh. the mission control in uh, rocket man, he, mm. he could have played it. Um, first Glenn Howard. Uh, uh, yeah. But I wasn't going with highest war. I was, I mean, I'm just saying like, it is a role that he had locked down. That's true. He did have that role locked down. Well. Zach, who'd you come up with? I came up with sugar Ray and Lewis because I mean, there's some stuff in that testimony, the interrogation, that's pretty interesting. I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> the stuff about, you know, being at the the correctional facility and giving it up for candy bars. That was going to be one of my trivia questions. Um, but he doesn't seem to deny it either. So, like, and it has nothing to do with the movie. It's a nice backstory. Um, I kind of see it as, like, that Jackie Brown prequel that came out. Um, you know, like like, their life in prison together, I guess. I don't know. And I think in the 97 version, Chris Tucker would have been it, but I know those, I think, I think the movie's racist. So that's another, another strike against it, but I would like to see more of those characters. If I'm being honest, I don't know if the movie's racist or if it's just portraying oh, it's a, pretty bad. I don't well, know. I, I would say it's portraying um, an accurate depiction of the fifties in LA. I guess my question would be then, okay, show the, show the, the cops as corrupt white cops. I get it. Show them framing the murder on these black bystanders. But then why are you showing the black bystanders as also rapists? That kind of feels like Paul Haggis territory, okay? We're into, like, the whole, like, oh, act, these, these guys are racist. These are not bad people. Oh, wait a second. They're racist. I, like, why do that? I, I like, the, 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 the scene where they're discovered is, I, I think, I don't know. I don't love it. This movie has some unusual parallels with Crash, I think. In like the sense that every character has a good side and a bad side, and it's really hammered home uh, excessively. 
officially Ebert's number one of 2005. Um, yeah, well, LA Confidential was in his top 10 of 97, too. Part of why I was brainwashed to love this movie so much. All right, one one more I'm going to throw out there as a as a favorite minor character, and that's Matt McCoy, who plays a uh, badge of honor star Brett Chase. There, that's um, probably good. There's some good history there, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I I look at him, and even when I see him today, I still look at him and say, "Hey, that's the guy who replaced Mahoney in Police Academy," and uh, and now he's playing mm-hmm. a cop in Nelly Confidential. It it just made me happy. So if if Robert Rodriguez had directed this movie, who would be that character in the Badge of Honor movie spinoff? Would it be the same actor? In the Robert Rodriguez version? If Robert Rodriguez made this movie, you know that he would make Badge of Badge of Fury also a movie, right? Like he would do a movie oh, version I of it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like a la Machete, right? True. No, I, I thought of this more as like a, as like a, the the '50s version of. Uh, the noir version of Bounty Law. That, that's how I felt of felt of Badge of Honor. Mm. Yeah, there's a little <laughs> bit of there's a little bit of that in this movie. <clears throat> All right. A little bit of Rick Dalton. Stick man, douchebag, and most punchable face. Spider stick man, Billy Bats douchebag, Robert Forster Memorial, most punchable face. We're gonna start with Todd. Todd, work us through. Uh, for Stickman, I'm gonna go with Patchett because I mean, I mean, I don't know. Every, every time you, you, I mean, he's a pimp, basically. He probably, he probably's getting it in quite a bit. Um, for the douchebag, <sighs> there are quite a bit of douchebags. Uh, I'm gonna say um, Edmund because uh, he he does rebuke Lana Turner to her face and. Um, he goes he goes from being like a really by the book cop to being like a really super vulgar uh really kind of off the wall uh cop just just in order to get respect that's a really teach thing to do and the most punchable face is of course Matt McCoy I don't even remember what his character's <laughs> name was cuz I mean just look at him it's like <laughs> yeah I want to punch that guy <laughs> like, like the moment when when Jack comes back on set Hey, it's Jack. It's like, yeah. <laughs> that's a good call. That's a good call. Nicholas Sard. <laughs> Nicholas Sard. That's his name. The uh, the the what grandson of uh, of George Gaines. Oh, there we go. That he's conspiracy. Either, no, he's a, he's a nephew. Isn't nephew. He? Nephew. That's what it is. He's, he's got to be nephew. All right, Zach. What do you have for these three? All right. Well, my douchebag was obviously Russell Crowe for some of the reasons I've already mentioned. But like what also irritates me about that role is like I'm sure in 1997, Curtis Hansen and Brian Helgeland thought that they were being very progressive by having this stereotypical 50s tough guy from noir movies really just respect women. And that was his whole modus operandi for doing everything that he did was just he was so even when even when the guy is on the confessional and talks about raping a woman, Russell Crowe bursts in and, and you know, puts his fist up to him and throws a chair out the window uh, and then slaps a woman later in the movie. Um, that leads to me to my second pick, which is most punchable face, which is anybody Russell Crowe encounters in this movie uh, automatically by default has a punchable face. And then uh, biggest stick man in this movie, I think we're going to go three for three, Russell Crowe. Because, I mean, if we're, it's not necessarily about variety, but it is about quantity and uh, numerations of that. Um, and uh, I think some of those love scenes are pretty poorly made. 
Um, but it is uh, a thing. So he's the biggest stick man in this movie. He's the only one that seems to have time for it. All right. Uh, Numeration. My, my, my stick man, I'm going with Matt Reynolds. I mean, if, if uh, you but die with that kind of content. Short lifespan. Uh, that that's a that's not a that many at bats. I feel like he is the uh, uh, the Len bias of this movie in terms of stick men, <laughs> oh, Un, unreached potential. I, I think I, I went with him also because he's the only like confirmed multiple multiple partners in the in the movie. Well, that's so. the question of volume versus variety. Yeah. <laughs> then these are the details that we have to ask with the stickman category. It really needs right. a whole rehaul. But for but... me, that guy was like he, he's like the guy in um in Boogie Nights that keeps getting the girls to OD or something like that. Like <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Wait, the guy but... with the cousin from Mesa, Arizona? With uh <laughs> no two uh Scott you know what I'm talking the, the his brother came from Tucson, Arizona to sing. What? No, not I, super bad. Oh, what did Boogie Nights? Oh, okay. Boogie Nights. The, the, I don't the, know why I heard super the, bad. The guy who keep the guy who, keep, the guy who we'll keeps getting out. girls ODing. I don't know. I oh, mean, yeah. This keeps happening, May man. Second yeah, time this week. To me, that, that like, not Reynolds. doesn't that mean it's you know <laughs> is it, shouldn't you take that as a sign? Yeah. Okay. I liked it. That's a good pick. All right. Well, my my douchebag is uh is the guy who was at uh at Lynn's house when uh, when Bud shows up and is trying to like wow. protect her. And the main reason he's a douchebag is uh while he's there, he insisted on them watching a Veronica Lake movie. And I feel like that's that's, that's a insult. little hmm. that's a little yeah, that's incestuous. A, that's a good point because yeah, and- <laughs> he's trying to get away from Veronica. It's definitely incestuous. <laughs> And then, and then he's like trying to protect her. It's like, oh, it, you need me to step in and take care of the. No, no, he's a cop. Just, just leave. That would be kind of like Maya telling Miles, "Here, read this Bukowski book. You know, be inspired." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's a little insulting. And then, and then my most punchable face is, is going a similar route as as uh, Zach, but uh, getting a little more specific. I'm going with Alan Graff, who is simply billed as wife beater. Oh um, yeah. By the switch. way, awesome moment when he decides to just pull the Santa and reindeer off the off the roof to get his attention, and then as soon as he walks out, is like, "Yeah, that that's a punchable face," and and he does. So uh, it, I had him written down too. That's yeah. a good one. All right, Zach, what's the best scene of this movie? Uh, uh, the last scene. Because it's when it ends. Yeah, and it has the, it has the best line in the movie. I'll I'll repeat it again. Some <laughs> men get the world, other men get ex hookers and a trip to Arizona. But oh, I love oh, it. Shameful. All right, the the best scene in this movie, for me by far, and I've always thought this is Jack's death scene. Hmm. That that scene is is one of my like all time favorite scenes of all time, because first it it's so it, it's the twist right it's the shocking moment where you realize what's actually going on here that Dudley's the one that's been in that's been pulling all the strings, and uh, and takes out one of the most likable characters in the whole in the whole movie the you know, the one that actually has a a good character arc going on, 
And then what? And then his final moments. I love in those final moments. He just says Rolo Tomasi, and in saying that, he giggles a little bit. One because he's like, I'm looking at the guy who gets away with it, but also at the same time, he. I think he also realizes, I'm screwing you over, and you don't even know it. It's well, beautiful. okay. It's beautiful. Yes, yes. I mean, and that is obviously the regal quote of the movie is Rolo Tomasi. But no, it's not. It's on the QT and very hush hush. <laughs> I thought it well, was. Uh, I see Bud because I want to. <laughs> you can't okay. sit here. I see Bud because I want to. No, she's talking about the beer that she brought into the to the theater. Well, no, I mean, no. <laughs> Bud White. That's that's really good. <laughs> Someone gives him a dirty look for getting for getting in. I see Bud because I want to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or maybe they're hallucinating. <laughs> I see Bud because I want I want beer at the theater. That's gonna leave a mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Todd, go ahead. Well, okay. Well, I- anyway. Uh, Rolo Tomasi, I honestly don't understand why uh, Dudley feels the need to relay that at any point, because I, I've, I've tried to figure out the logic in his head, and I, I've never figured it out. Like, why is he, why does he think that that is one of his associates? Why, why would somebody who just got shot by you give another person that you think that, or that, that he thinks might be want to be sh- like should be shot by him too like I- i've never understood like the logic in dudley's head but why he would why would he why would he bring rollo tomasi up again well what i would say is he he's at a point where he's trying to to uh clean up all the loose ends and I know, so but he's wh- gotta... why is that the last words out of your mouth is like oh yeah oh obviously you're the mastermind behind this like you should go kill this guy too why? Why would that be his last words? I, I think he just is Dudley that dumb. No, I think, I think he might be. That I think dumb. he realized he's trying to clean up all the loose ends, and Exley is the only one that was working close enough with him that would have any idea what he was talking about. But how would he know that he would speak to Exley? And how would he know that he would say yeah. that to him? It, 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 That's it makes, a lot of it makes no him. sense. It makes no sense why those words, like that random name, would come out of his mouth. In your dying moments, you say a random name. You're the, that no, has, he's saying you're the one that got away with it. No. Okay. Yeah. So that's what Jack, yes, that's Jack, what Jack is implied. saying. Like, yes. Yeah. But, but in Dudley's, in Dudley's perspective. Oh yeah. Th- there is a random name that has, that has never existed in the history of the universe. Why are you bringing that up again? Right. And Guy it Ritchie makes looks no so sense surprised to me. when he reacts to it. He's like, oh, it's the moment of truth. And then Guy Ritchie knows that he knows. Guy Pierce, not Guy, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ri- oh, okay. Guy Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Guy, Guy Pierce. Guy Exley. <laughs> I, uh, I, I also love that. It's like, it's like everybody goes by their first name, but like when Bud goes to Lynn's place, he's like, you f***ed Exley. <laughs> of course, and not you Ed. It's, it's actually. What, yeah. what if he had said Edward and then she corrected him? I, I, I find know. it funny I... that so and then Dudley. Dudley's the only one that calls Bud Wendell, and he's the only one that calls Exley Edmund. So I don't know what's up there. 
no, I think it. I think it works. I think it makes sense. I think it works. What's your best scene, Todd? <clears throat> okay. Uh, I mean, that is a really good scene. Uh, basically, the last half hour is really is is really good. I I really like uh, Bud and Lynn when they're laying in bed together. I think it, it makes the only point in the movie where Russell Crowe is vulnerable. And it's a really appealing quality to that character because he has this like hulky exterior. And I, I think in that scene is is basically the best moment. She's just like illuminating in there. Like and, uh, what Bud says, you know, like they get Veronica Lake. I get Br- Lynn Bracken. It's just a really sweet line. And uh, I think it's a really good scene. That's a good one. The other one I had written down was uh, the interrogation scene. Oh yeah, he keeps turning on and off the mic. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, Exley is is slick as hell in that, and you don't expect it. And then in the middle of it, he's like, "Wait, what the hell are they talking about?" All right, keep talking. <laughs> and I and like, the whole and the whole thing um, flips on that in that one thing. I like that the table in the interrogation room was apparently designed by the same designer who made Doctor Evil's table with the switches. <laughs> Maybe it was Will Ferrell. I don't know, but working in the same era. I think it was Frau. It must have been Frau. I made the table! I also like how this movie ripped off the Austin Powers. It's a man scene when he rips off Lana Lana Turner's hair. <laughs> <laughs> Lana Turner, baby. <laughs> that is Lana Turner. Uh, all right. Flaws, outdated conspiracy theories. I know we've already mentioned some of them. I mentioned the ones I had written down. Anybody else have any others? Same. Uh, okay, I, I have a few that I, I wrote down that I wanted to say. Um, the photos of Bud and Lynn when he finds them in the trunk of the car are it's like... Exley and Lynn. Ex- excuse me, Exley and Lynn that Bud finds. You're right, I'm sorry. They are comically bad. It's like, it's perfect focus. They're perfectly right in the center. It's like, To me, I wrote down that it's like the it's like the photos of Jessica Rabbit that Roger sees in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, it's so, like, obvious. There's nothing in the way. There's no blur. There's no anything. Um, I that's who that, would play Lynn is Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, just, that's not bad. Um, <laughs> I thought the... Well, who is that, though? Is that Michelle Pfeiffer? Is, like, who's supposed to be Jessica Rabbit? Uh, Kathleen Turner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is, okay. Is, that, is that real or is that yeah, just she like... was her, she was the voice of Jessica Rabbit. Perfect. Yeah. Um, you didn't know that? Uh, no. Okay. I also wrote down that the shootout at the end of the movie has some real callbacks to Red Dead Redemption. Like how you're stuck in that little shack and you can go like underneath the chair with a shotgun. Um, I Where wrote... is Adam and Ben on this shit? Yeah, Jeez. I mean... <laughs> I also said that Rolo Tomasi should have been a key reveal at the end of the movie, and it should have been been Kevin Spacey all along. Um, <laughs> I wrote. You down got a the, point there. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down that there's a bit of The Departed in this movie. Um, they're both the same woman. They're both uh, standing before the police chief and getting grilled. They meet at the police chief's house at night. And Alec Baldwin, who was in Kim Basinger's <laughs> speech several times. Wait, um, wait! They didn't meet at the at, at his house. Yeah, they did. They go to his house in the middle of the night. Just no, think back three hours ago. You watched who's it. House, who's house? Whose house? Yeah, Cromwell's house. They go. Exley goes to Cromwell's house. Or wait, or no, doesn't? Vincennes goes no, to Vincennes Cromwell's goes, house. and that's where he gets killed. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the scene when oh. when uh, when Leo goes to Martin uh, Sheen's house <laughs> in The Departed. Anyway, maybe that was oh, too okay. much of a stretch. I can see that. 
and then the last one I wrote down, I thought it was really interesting, the strategy of shoving the pictures down Exley's throat. Uh, what Was that like a statement or something? Like just shove it down your throat before breaking the chair. Um, and then I love how the movie just somehow transitions. They become Woodward and Bernstein. And it's like they team up and it becomes all the president's men. Very smooth, Brian Helgeland. Um, I love the sound effects after every punch that uh, Russell Crowe makes, too. I love that in 90s movies a lot. That's all. I, I mean, I have some more, but they're not that funny. <laughs> no, just keep going. Dude. <laughs> we were at two hours and 20 minutes. Like, we need this shit. Um, I thought it was gratuitous how they showed the dead girl's breasts. But then again, it is a 90s movie. So, of course, you have to see them and to get the R rating, I felt like. Mm. Um Let's see. Uh, of course, in a classic, you know, you have a, a woman, the only woman in the movie besides uh, Kim Basinger, um, and she's a rape victim, but she lies under oath, and they point painter as a liar. Um, wait, wait. Other than the the, the mother that you love, so oh, much. of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good conspiracy theory too. That the mother was probably Mrs. Blankenship, uh, Don Draper's secretary in season five of Mad Men. But that's maybe <laughs> another callback. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Peace out. Mic drop. <laughs> Ooh, All okay. right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's wrap this up. LVP, MVP, and then we'll get to quote of the day. LVP and MVP. Uh, I'll go first. My LVP is uh, is Sid Hudgens. He's kind of the one that that makes all the trouble here. Uh, MVP he's kind of the MVP too. He's kind of the MVP too. That's a, that's a good point. My MVP is obviously Rolo Tomasi. Mm. It has to be. He's a purse purse snatcher, which I find curious because <laughs> it's not true. he's not like a white collar victim. He's like the guy in Mrs. Doubtfire that tries to steal the purse from Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> and I don't know if he ever got hit in the balls a few times, but like that almost makes him, you know, um, defensible in a way, having to suffer through all that as a purse snatcher. Is that a thing? He's an off duty cop. As a purse snatcher, is that like something on Wikipedia we could look up? It's <laughs> a great question, Zach. Who's your know. LVP MVP? We have Colin Gowers' attention <laughs> clearly. <laughs> My LVP of this movie is Jerry Goldsmith. Absolutely atrocious music. Now you want to accuse me oh, of not liking? Come on, it was great music. It was ter absolutely terrible music. Great music. That you want to accuse me of not liking film noir in my room in my house growing up? I had a, an Italian poster of. Chinatown and the music in Chinatown is by Jerry Goldsmith and every time I saw that poster I love to just say out loud Colonna Sonora di Jerry Goldsmith it, It's I, fun to say <laughs> I think you gave me that poster and I have it here somewhere It better be up in your room god damn it I you know I love you would you would have you would have noticed it when we revealed our list So it was up in my room at one point and I think it's now in one of my frames but behind, like, I think I replaced it with the Seahawks Super Bowl poster. But I think it's still in that frame just behind the poster. I think. MVP. Oh, that. MVP of the movie, uh, the state of Arizona, which is on her pillow. See, it's not know. that crazy yeah. to ask about uh, what's on a pillow. Or Susan Leffert's mother, for all the reasons we've discussed. I mean, she really did. Strawberries she really were did on uh, 
what what is his name? Terry Gar's pillow and Tootsie. That's true. All right, Todd LVP conspiracy MVP. theory. My Very LVP are, is the uh, the the random ass patrolman at the night owl. Uh, because he's he's freaking worthless. Like he has he has no information when he gets there. Um, he I think it's like he stopped there just for coffee or something. Like I mean, I mean he just he instead of actually doing real police work, he just calls other cops <laughs> to come and investigate. What he he was already there, and he's a cop. He's 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 bad. I don't even know who that was. Like I couldn't actually come up with the uh, the character's name. And uh, my MVP is um, uh, Janine Oppowell, who is uh, the art director, because I think the actual 50s look of this movie is what makes it so, so great. Like, uh, it, it actually does look like a movie from the 50s. And yeah, she yeah. has to be the one that did that. So did you watch this movie on DVD? Because I watched it on DVD yes. and it looked like shit. But I don't know if that's the movie or the DVD. I hope it's the DVD. But I thought, I was like, damn, if I'm going to watch a film noir, at least I want to see something stylized and chiaroscuro lighting. I'm not entirely convinced it wasn't just the DVD. Like, I don't think this movie actually looks that great. But okay. I think it's got to be the DVD. Like, my <clears> DVD, <throat> it's it's like the old, like, clip on the end and open the paper the paper like you're top. you're a freaking film noir give me at least one scene with rain falling and like uh you know it's a silhouette or like uh the venetian like blinds goes or to, something when bud give goes uh, gets the gets the pictures that well that's true but but uh, that is the one rain scene yeah that's a fair point but uh mm -hmm. i don't know it just it's unconnected to me it doesn't it's not iconic film noir and if you had too many of those you would say it was uh it was begging to be one of them so true it, hey, All it's right. fun to go either way, as Matt Reynolds would tell you. <laughs> Quote of the day: We're going to start with uh, we're going to start with Zach. So my quote of the day is, I, I believe, the last line of the movie, spoken by Len Len Braddock: "Some men get the world, <laughs> other men get ex hookers in a trip to Arizona." Academy Award winning dialogue there by Brian Helgeland, just beautiful. It sounds like a Rick Pitino quote. <laughs> he didn't coach St. Mary's though. He, you know, <laughs> wouldn't be appropriate for this movie. Uh, all right, Todd. Uh, I have a quote from Guy Pierce. He says, If I'm exhausted physically and particularly emotionally, I can't tell what's good and I can't tell what's bad, and I'm useless. And I feel like that is <laughs> this. That was a great, great quote for this episode. <laughs> I, I also have a quote that I feel like describes this podcast, especially this one. Uh, it comes early on in the movie. It's uh, said by James Cromwell to Kevin Spacey. And he says, I don't think you've, uh, Vincennes, I don't think you've ever taken a dumb breath in your life. Don't start now. We've started. Mm -hmm. Yes. We've started. And yes. with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Cheers. Yep, we we can't hide the good inside us. <laughs> Thanks uh, so much for listening. We'll be back at you next time with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.